0: That sounded exciting. Didn't it?
1: Okay, good morning, everybody, and um, welcome to the 42nd meeting of the Economy Committee. Um, some members will be attending this morning's meeting by video conference, and our witnesses today will be briefing us via video conference. The meeting is being broadcast live, and the recording will be made available on the committee's webpage so on the Assembly website. And just to remind members to mute their tablet devices when they're not speaking. Um, the committee has received three, three briefings this morning, um, so we are quite tight for time so we're going to have to try and bit here to be indicative timing for each of these um, to try and get through everything. Um, so if, if members don't mind we will try and here to um, one question at a time for members and um bring people back in if we do have time so peter i don't think we have any apologies
0: chair there's... john Stewart has offered apologies so we'll note that okay thank you okay
1: thanks for that peter um so moving on then to item number two which is chairs business Um, And If members can uh, refer to page 5 of your pack, there is a response from FSB with their views on the Trade Bill. Um, The committee had thought views from our stakeholders in relation to the Trade Bill. The Trade Bill is now moving to the report stage in the House of Lords on the 7th of December Um, and members will remember that we, we have discussed the trade bill previously in relation to having not yet had an lcm in respect of that so
2: um it's to no from members have any other comments that they want to make um mr stalford um yeah yeah, happy happy to note that but just under chairs business because i I, I think it would have fallen uh, to you as the chair of the committee at last week's committee meeting I would asked that we write to the department for their assessment of what the level of unemployment is likely to be once furlough comes to an end. Have we? We we have a response. Oh good. Um, it's it's difficult to pin down figures,
0: um, but we, we have that to get in the pack. So. We oh sorry, don't... I must have missed no, it. No no, you're fine. I think we do anyway. Hmm. Um, oh,
3: sorry.
0: <laughs> I, I'm Consulting my people get the pack. Does they the... give us a number? Um, actually, no. We, we don't have a number. I'm trying to think, am I confusing it with something else? We will get there. Okay. If, let me let me work on that in the time being. That's you know, grand. We do sure. have a
1: response here later, to, to the question that we had a bit about the, the cost of... Um, we do, we have... Know, yeah, yeah, we have the, the cost. That maybe?
0: That's probably yeah. what I'm thinking about, so we haven't had the other one back yet. Okay. We haven't had the other one back yet. Thank you. But Thanks. it's in. It's in, chair. Sure. The question's in. No
1: cost.
2: Um,
1: okay
0: then, so there is also a draft letter which I believe members have in front of them, uh, which the circulated earlier. The yeah. Where's the letter? I emailed it to you this morning, maybe about 15-20 mm-hmm. minutes ago. Yep. Right. It's the one from the, the four chairs <laughs> uh, about student uh, mental health. And social and financial well-being issues. So, the the um, chair, if you want to give a bit of background of where that came from.
1: Yeah, sure. Okay. So, if the members recall, um, I think it was the week before last, actually, that we had agreed that we would reach out to the other committee chairs um, who have. Uh, a in respect of the, the student issues for helping raised with the information to mental health hardship wellbeing those those type of issues. So the um, chairs of health communities and the executive office met yesterday um, morning and we had some a, a, um, discussion around the issues um, and we agreed that we would like to meet the First Ministers highlighting the issue and, and seeking a collaborative approach to dealing with the, to the issue. So um, if members have that draft there in front of them to have a look at and um, if they would be content then, then we would forward that letter like, to the other committees to seek their approval um, for sending it to, to the, the First Ministers.
0: Chair, uh, Mr Middleton would like to make a comment. Yeah,
1: sure. Thanks, okay. it's just to say that I
4: think it's a, a very good matter, and uh, it's an important one. Um, I know my question for the Mr. Uh, this week uh, <coughs> <hopefully> <coughs> was half of the health advice for, for the second semester. Uh, and, and, um, well, it wasn't really clear and fairness. I know Mr. Green and the Department of Economy and what uh, we will explain. and I think that we do need someone willing really to grasp this issue and provide clarity for the students.
3: I think very good
1: matter, Chair, so thank you.
5: Thanks
6: that, Gary. And does anybody
5: else want to, to make a comment in respect of that? No, no, I agree. agree. Agreed, agree. Chair,
6: I would agree as well. Okay, okay. Chair, that would if members that? are content, yeah.
0: we, let, we forward that on to the other committees with the hope that we will get it cleared this week and away on Friday. Thank you for that, Chair.
1: Thanks, Peter. Um, okay so moving on then uh, to item number three, which is our draft minutes, so there is a copy of the draft minutes on last meeting with for last week's meeting on 25th of November, at page eight of your class. Our members content that these are an accurate reflection of the
6: meeting. Great. Thank you.
1: So moving on to item number four is our briefing from the Northern Ireland Human Rights Commission, the Business and Human Rights Forum. Um, so there is only five, 45 minutes of this briefing, so um, if members can just be brief in terms of their own remarks and questions following the, the briefing um, from um, the Human Rights Forum, or the Business Human Rights Forum. There is a Congress Memo at page 14 of the the NI Business Human Rights Forum briefing papers at page 16, and the NI Action Plan on Business and Human Rights at page 19. Um, the forum meetings are held three times a year and to date meetings have focused on a range of issues relating to business and human rights including modern slavery, the impact of Brexit on business and human rights, poverty and mental health in the workplace and the impact of COVID-19 on business and human rights. So if um, I could welcome to this morning's meeting um, is Allende who is Chief Commissioner of the Northern Ireland Human Rights Commission and Glenn Bradley who is Chair of the Business and Human Rights Forum. Um, so
7: if they
0: can please be brought into the spotlight and if I hand over to yourselves to make an opening statement and then we will bring members
7: in. Thank you. Thanks. Kiva, can I check? Can you see me and hear me? Yeah. We,
0: we can hear you, but we can't see you.
7: We yeah. see your window. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> that's probably the lesser of two eagles, So see the window. They press on.
0: Les, your camera's pointing in the other direction. If you can reorient it, um, there there may be a button for that, but if not, we'll just go ahead. Um,
7: Sorry, it's way beyond my technical competence. I'm afraid. So I'll just talk, if that's all right. You can... I'll leave my reply to your imagination. Thanks for the opportunity. I know time is... Pressing, um, I really appreciate the invite this morning, and I'm going to start by making a few brief opening remarks on the forum and its work, and then hand over to our chair, Glenn Bradley, who will outline why adhering to human rights is good for business, and then happy to take any questions. Um, the lineage to the forum comes from the UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights, which was unanimously endorsed by the United Nations in June 2011 and in a nutshell, they require governments to respect, protect and fulfil human rights and fundamental freedoms. Uh, businesses are expected to comply with all applicable laws and to respect human rights. And the third pillar is the need for rights and obligations to have an effective remedy when breached. The Commission sees that as a flaw uh, and a seeming and Governments were not by the UN to produce national action plans wouldn't the UK government, to its credit, was first out of the traps in 2013 to the first national action plan anywhere. It was refreshed in 2016. Not a great document, I have to say. Ireland produced its own in 2017, and the Business and Human Rights Forum had an involvement in, in discussions with the DFAT on that. But the background to why the Commission set up a human rights forum was that in 2013 we published a document on public procurement and human rights. And what that document found was that there were there was an extensive legal and policy framework of procurement, but almost no reference of human rights standards and complied with them in procurement. We procure around 2.7 billion pounds worth of goods and services from Government departments and public uh, and armed bodies. So we are, I mean, you are as a government and, and, uh, and uh, public bodies a uh, very extensive purchaser of services, and therefore this is important. So we decided to set up the forum. You've um, outlined <coughs> the work. Uh, it's a broad-ranging forum. We deliberately set the bar alone to be involved. We have private companies uh, for manufacturing legal recruitment agencies, building firms, government departments, public bodies, uh, academic organizations, um, unions and development NGOs um, all participate along with umbrella organization by like the Federation Small Businesses. But um, it's not simply a talking shop, we've done some practical work. Um, one of those was the, the partnership with the Department of Finance to produce the guidance over on procurement and how to ensure that human rights best practice is embedded in procurement. Uh, we've done work with the two universities. We held a number of groups for business school students. Uh, we organized a lecture by the owner of People Tree on how to run an ethically based. Um, Fashion retail company. We are in the second year of work with, with the in this group, developing a module on the world, um, which is part of what we say is the example of um, the work we've most recently done. We held a meeting in October with the. Uh, David are uh, the Chair of, of the Independent Anti-Slavery Commissioner, uh, the Minister for Justice, who spoke, and who the um, Chief Inspector of uh, Criminal Justice, and um, Matt looked at the question of how we embed, a uh, quite difficult question, how we deal with modern slavery, particularly looking at Brexit, where we have both an open border and the desire to make sure that we um, prevent human trafficking and modern slavery. So it's practical issues that we're dealing with. The business plan that you have in your pack um, is our attempt at a first draft of a national action plan for Northern Ireland on business and human rights. Um, we're very keen to uh, look to get others to endorse that. Now the Assembly's back. Um, we would be very keen, I think, to have a joint meeting with the committee at some point in the future. Um, and at that point, I think I'll stop there and hand you over to Glenn to kind of give you the why in practice human rights is, is important. Thanks. Okay, thanks very much, Les. Can everyone hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you, Chair, and everyone in the committee for having
8: us. I'll just continue. Lex has brought us up to 2020, but I want to take us slightly forward to 2030 and then we'll come back to where we are now. Our planet faces massive economic, social, and environmental challenges. To combat these sustainable development goals, uh, define global priorities and aspirations for 2030. They represent an unprecedented opportunity to eliminate extreme poverty and put the world on a sustainable path. Governments worldwide already agree to these goals, and that's time for business to play its part. And the reason it's, it's time for business is that within the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, Article 67, which is agreed by all 193 UN member states, is unambiguous when it states private business activity, investment, and innovation are major drivers of productivity inclusive economic growth and job creation. We acknowledge the diversity of the private sector, ranging from micro-enterprises to cooperatives to multinationals. We call on all businesses to apply their creativity and innovation to solving sustainable development challenges. Now, all of us should learn from this COVID crisis that there must be a coordinated effort to create decent work for all is the foundation of a green, inclusive, and resilient recovery. A recovery where the primacy of human rights and the environment are the priority and where business models that degrade human beings or our environment are simply no longer permitted. Within the Northern Ireland Business and Human Rights Forum, we understand the business case for sustainable development goals. We are helping our members define priorities and map their value chains to find impact on We have modelled a scope of goals and, and key performance indicators that our members can expedite in action to meet the SDG business commitments with carbon neutrality by 2030. However, it's not just about the environment, and I must reiterate that. It is about human rights due diligence, anti-corruption due diligence, and evolving labour standards. It's simply about doing business responsibly to solve human or labour rights issues and abuse. That recognised initiatives, and I emphasise recognised initiatives because some are that assure workers are free from exploitation and discrimination and work in conditions of freedom, security, and equity. It's about advancing the communities in which all our influences, corporates, are felt. So, in simplified terms, human rights, including workers' rights, are defined in a body of international conventions which states adopt and implement through their local laws. And please note, there are some key rights that apply or adopt adopted by state or not. The ETI is code, the Ethical Trading Initiative, is a simplified interpretation of core workers' rights as an aid for businesses and corporates and companies. The United Nations guiding principles provide an internationally agreed framework for understanding and acting on the duty of business in the field of human rights. And the Sustainable Development Goals are a set of goals with indicators that set a development framework to enable and measure the progress for all. So in summary, it's about human rights, labour standards, anti-corruption, and environment. 11 of the 17 Sustainable Development Goals are inextricably linked to human rights and the balance of well-being or the environment, i.e. protecting the planet for generations to come, and by delivering zero carbon and respect to Mother Earth. It's about ethics, it's about circular economy, it's about health and equity, and it's about environmental
3: protection.
1: Thank you. Can you
0: hear me? Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. OK, so thanks to Glenn and for that um, reason. I, I think it's a really important um, area of work and uh, really interesting um, reason and papers that he's provided to us. Um, can I just ask a couple of questions um, in relation first of all to the, the paper? Um since you have adopted it, how how um how much progress has been made in relation to the the uh, the three the three pillars within the paper? Um and can I just ask about the access to remedy? Um what is the the, the access to remedy currently?
7: Maybe if I take off and then then one. Come in. Um, yeah, a, we've tried to be practical for them, so in terms of implementing this, give an example of a, piece of a piece of work we did. When we worked with the Department of Finance to produce the uh, a document on a procurement guidance notes and how you might embed human rights, we worked with the Department on a pilot project um, for agency workers, an area where there's traditionally been um, difficulties and sometimes exploitation. Um, that was looking at how you embedded human rights. So it was about developing, saying to anybody who tended for the agency worker uh, particular competition that they would have to develop and maintain a human rights policy that had been approved at a board level that within 30 days of the award, they provide the human rights policy and demonstrate how its processes of human rights were written into and taken into account. So we've tried to, to do this in a very practical way. Um, it's worth saying in procurement that public contract regulations make it mandatory to, for example, reject abnormally loan tenders if below prices price is due to non compliance with so EU legislation or international law related to social labour or environmental law. So we've been pushing the idea that human rights should be fully embedded. We're at a very early stage, we're a focus of training with um, CPD staff. Um, so embedding the principles is, um, it, it is one that we would like to devote more resources to. In terms of remedies, but well, we do have remedies, we have industrial um, we have employment law, um, we have other enforcement mechanisms. But the difficulty with transparency and supply chains is that it's about business reputation. If something happens in a country uh, where you're procuring um, uh, materials for a neighbour and those labour laws are not being properly adhered to in, in another country, then it's much more difficult. And that's about then, responsibility. Um, or probably with most to bring them in.
3: Yes, thanks, Les. Uh, Sure, Remedy is not about naming and shaming. When you're
8: operating a global supply chain, it's about working in partnership with your producing factories, or in my case, producing quarries also, uh, to raise their standards. You know, I go back to what I said earlier human rights, labour standards, anti corruption, environment. Where those standards fall, Uh, I mean, say, for example, the ETI base code, uh, which is nine principles based on the ILO Convention. It's about recognising those and and raising those standards. So it's about getting a third party audit completed and then working uh, with that supplier on a corrective action plan to raise them to the standards that uh, basically meet workers that uh, can work equitably and securely. Um,
3: to, to what we would normally expect. And it is difficult, there is absolutely no doubt about it, you know, but it is now elected for we look It's Section 54 of the Modern Statement Act. It calls for
8: uh, ethical transparency within global supply chains. So it very much puts the responsibility on corporates and business, treating over 36 million to do that. And where we follow, I mean, I'm, our business is an SME uh, as an of but we obviously supply major works contractors, we obviously supply government and local authority. So it is the onus is on us to raise our standards, our bar, even though we could meet the 36 million threshold, to actually assure that our, our supply chain is operating transparently. And for us, we began the process back in 2007 when we applied the Ethical Trading, the National Base Code, um, and started rolling that out. Then, in 2012, we had the United Nations Guided Principles introduced. 2016, the modern sphere itself in, uh, in Britain. The modern sphere was flawed initially. The modern sphere, for example, put a lot of onus uh, on business, but, for example, the local authority and, and uh, government themselves didn't have to adhere to it. Um, until very recently, but the recent amendments of Westminster mean that such bodies do now have to adhere to the modern CFD And um, there's much more on being screen, on exactly how you measure that transparency. So, for example, giving an annual statement um, drafted on by a, a very cute marketing department is no longer uh, going to be heard. What you have to do is demonstrate in practice and by your actions how your company is actually engaged within the supply chain, whether that be a local supply chain, sitting here in Belfast, or whether that be a global supply chain, chain imported from, for example, our own from China, India, Vietnam, Portugal, Italy, and so on and so forth. Um, so but the, the, the key question in Ramony is that it's not about naming and shaming, it's about cooperation, it's about joint ventures, it's about a partnership, and it's about raising your supply chain to the standards that we leaders.
1: That that's really useful. Thank you for that. Um, that gives a good overview. But can I just ask how um would you envisage this work um intersecting with uh the rights for for here.
7: Um. Well, there are a number of um, potential overlaps between economic and social rights. It's fair to say that the UN guiding principles, for example, are not um. They are simply principles, and they are about voluntarism. I think where we would see a bit of rights fitting in with this um, will be about looking at what are the areas where bearing in mind civil rights are, um the rights supplemented by um, other rights which are particular to the circumstances of Northern Ireland, so we don't have to find the way in which anything that we look at in the Bill of Rights fits within the Good Friday Agreement's um, editions. But I think the important thing for us is to start thinking um, creatively, and practically, I'm interested in, in what the um, European Court of Human Rights spoke about, rights should be real and practical, not theoretical and illusory. So I think us, we recognise that um, legislation is important if you have to win the hearts and minds of businesses, you have to persuade businesses that it is in their interest to do this. So um, that's really where the work of the forum has been. Um, I think if we can build on that, in the Bill of right all well and good, but we've got to win people's hearts and minds in the first place. And that's not done primarily by legislation, although um, that is a driver. It's done by people realising it's not just the right thing to do, whether it's good for business to do this. And, and Glenn's company Artscape is a really good example of that. Sure, I mean, as people have let's let's be frank and honest. If we look around the public realm of Northern Ireland,
8: there is uh, products and commodities being used that certainly I'm aware would have been made by children, would have come from supply chains where labour rights abuse has taken place. And that happens because of a lack of diligence. At the minute, the entire process for business is voluntary, or is not voluntary, um, but that's going to change. The, the implementation of what's coming in the Modern Slavery Act is going to change that. People themselves
3: are evolving. People,
8: the COVID crisis, I think, has, has made people realise, you know, we cannot keep damaging our planet and, and, and our resources, and there is a, a real drive that uh, corporate companies move beyond paper, CSR,
3: to a demonstrable way in which they are um, not degrading human beings or the environment within either their own company operations. Or and I think as that evolution takes place, um,
8: w- which has already become, we are going to see, specifically Northern Ireland, that our, our Bill of Rights when they, they evolve and happen, will have a, a, Social justice aspect to them, which will include um, corporate responsibilities, business responsibilities, um, to, to
3: basically come in line with the Modern Slavery Act, Section 54, uh, the United
8: Nations Guiding Principles for Business Rights, You Rights. Know, and, and how that happens, you know, certainly from our case, working through the new UNGPs and the EDI case will actually improve the commodities that we sell. We were able to improve tolerances because we were retaining uh, employment things uh, the, the employment principles are, and, and the, the value chain and therefore we were getting longevity and uh, people because obviously it's masonry so the skillset service improving and um, so it's about a business recognising that ultimately this is the future
3: SDG 30s is our
8: future it's about them defining their priorities mapping their value chain. people. So a lot of companies are create their operations, but they don't know who their tier one, tier two, three, four, five suppliers are. So it's about them mapping their supply chain and defining the impact areas that they know. So for example, if you're important from Portugal or dealing with a supplier
3: of Portugal, logically, because it's a European country where the BCHR reveals, your risk is minimal. But if you're important from China or India or Vietnam, the risk is huge, particularly from China, um, you know, which despite
8: the gloss is the worst and the recipes are um, So it's defining how you can have impact, you know, put real change into those impact areas. And then modeling the scope of your goals. So again, coming back to China, it's also a restricted country, it's a communist country. You know, Glenn bradley of a little hardship an iron going over and waving a, a flag and demanding change and just isn't going to get very far. People who are working in labor rights advances and human rights in China are being disappeared. You know, so we've got to be realistic of the country nature. But it's about a business recognizing that, understanding that, saying 34% of our supply chain comes from China. Yes, there is a risk. This is how we're mitigating the risk. We can't get beyond tier 1. So while we're satisfied that our producing factory in man, is taking we actually can't guarantee it in the quarries because the quarries are state owned and we're not allowed to own those quarries. And so, about being honest, it's about being transparent, and it's about doing it. The initial setup is business
3: accepting that this is the way of the future and that while it's present, the voluntary, the regulation is coming in. The main driver in our patch, modern security access, for
8: uh, transparency in the supply chain. But so as the SDGs roll out, this will increase. If you think of the UK government yesterday, they have just committed to, a, to, to 10 serious principles um, in regard to the environment, uh, but that will then happen with human rights with, with the standards, and with that approach. Because those are the four components to the SDGs.
1: Um, thank you very much for that um, and I, I, I think I, I agree with you Glenn. in relation to I think Covid has really shone a light on um, our I need mean, to be much more aware of um, how people act in general in terms of business and um, you know be more aware of all the kind of supply chain issues and everything else as well um, and the impact that, that we have uh, on how we live our lives has on the environment as well as as um, public health. So I have lots of questions, but I have five more members wanting to come in as well, so I'm going to hand over to Stuart, if, um, if Stuart can hear me okay?
9: Yes, Chair, thank you very much, uh, and thank you to both of you for your, for your presentation. When you say um, this is about developing good practice and not... Um, not, not being uh, draconian in relation to human rights issues is that really not just mum and apple pie uh, and without actual action by governments and indeed by individual suppliers, um, are we ever going to drive forward the state of human rights in business in terms of slavery and, and in terms of, of, of uh, practices in countries with with low or no, uh, with, with low human rights practices. And you just have to look back on, on the whole issue of, of PPE and where all of it came from. Do we really know how it was manufactured, who it was made by? Were, were, were there people actually working in slave-like conditions? Were there children involved in, in, in all of that? Um, and while I appreciate that this is Uh, all about trying to encourage and to highlight uh, what do we actually actually have to do uh, when abuses are highlighted either to a nation or to an individual supplier uh, in relation to this. Where are you getting your information from? Is it coming from people like Human Rights Watch and others that are um, identifying very difficult issues in factories and manufacturing processes? And if I can just briefly uh, reverse that discussion as well, What happens uh, when you're trying to supply your goods into these countries? How satisfied are you? Uh, How satisfied are we in the United Kingdom, and particularly here in Northern Ireland, that machinery or (coughs) equipment that is being exported isn't going to be be used by people who are being abused? Thank you, Chair. Um, If if I
7: start, there's quite a few questions in there, so I'll try. Pick up some of them, again, part of um, I think the answer is there is it has to be a mixture of both, a legislative, a robust legislative framework, but it has to be about hearts and minds. Okay. Um, the reason I say that is we're much better at putting in place a legislative framework. We have the Modern Slavery Act. If you have a turnover of more than 36 million, you have to put in certain documentation. But the danger is that that can become formulaic Mm -hmm. and we think the job done because we've we've put in place some legislation, but it's clearly much more than that. The the idea that selling to businesses is in their best interest to do this, um, I think it's really important because that tends to be, I think, what drives businesses. Um, The adults half full, I really think it's uh, the fact that government departments and its arms-length bodies procure over 2.7 billion means that even in terms of our procurement processes, we can drive this forward in a way that's meaningful. We can give a message to business that says if you want to do business with government, then you must adhere to human rights standards and principles. And we don't need legislation to drive that forward. And I'll give you a very quick example. When I was on the Social Security Advisory Committee, somewhat embarrassingly from the Department for Working Pensions, was that their window cleaning contract, uh, they discovered that something like half the staff were doing the double at a time when the EWP were talking at great length about tackling fraud in social security. Now, I suspect that was procured. I suspect the cheapest way they wanted. But it was clearly using um, a lot of migrant labor and a lot of labor of that. Um, uh, where there was a kind of tacit encouragement to people to both work and claim. Uh, that was pretty embarrassing for DWP. So um, it's really important that we get our um, procurement, <coughs> procurement right. And I should say as well that, that these issues are not confined to developing uh, nations. Um, we saw during the pandemic um, the issues about um, how some of the clothing. Uh, factories were run in Leicester, so modern slavery can begin at home um, as well as abroad. So I think those are kind of um, issues for us, but in terms of where else you can, um, um, who highlights these issues, there are a number of NGOs, we have prepare as a member, who presentations presentations about the work they've done, elsewhere in exposing kind of labor issues, there are international organizations, there's the Ethical Trading Initiative. So there are a number of bodies, both state, um, UN, uh, the International Labour Organization, and NGOs, who've done some really quite pioneering work in terms of exposing um, uh, abuse abroad. And yes, finally, and then again, we need to be sure that we are, um, frankly, um, before we dictate to others how they should behave when they uh, supply chain into this country, we should make sure that our own supply chains and our goods, um, where they go elsewhere, um, it's really important that there is clarity about what our goods are being used for in the international market. And there are export license kind of arrangements and we've seen some recent legal action around, for example, the use of um, um, certain types of technology in, for example, in. Um, at least in countries then being used, for example, in the yellow war, um, and there have been some interesting kind of legal battles around around those issues. You. I'll hand over to, to Glenn. Um, as a businessman, I've been home with over 36 plus years working life
8: experience as a logistician or as a commercial entrepreneur. The voluntary method is steeled. Um, for me, it is time for more regulation. Um, as a business, we have been penalised for being ethical. And to put that into perspective, let me explain. Up until very recently, Northern Ireland's Central Procurement Department, as an example, operated on lowest cost wins. And against lowest cost wins, there was absolutely no ethical caveats whatsoever. So that means that a business like ours, uh, who do trade ethically and who practice ethics, uh, will always be slightly more expensive because, for example, we assure that within our own and within tier one of our supply chain, that living needs are paid. So, how can a product that I sell be the same price as someone who's a ruthless exploiter using cheddar paper? Mm-hmm. Yet, yeah, there was no until very recently ethical caveats whatsoever within the Central Procurement Department uh, for, for Northern Ireland and its purchases for public ground uh, over here. So
3: to me, there needs to be more regulation and by regulation, I don't necessarily mean law. Uh, I think laws will evolve, uh, particularly with the SDGs coming out from the UN and being adopted by all of 93
8: member nations. But I do think that, uh, um,
3: that the Procurement Guidance not. Uh, is an essential uh, ingredient
8: for government and for business to both uh, operate in in, in an ethical manner. Let's briefly mention the Ethical Trade Initiative. um, We we are a company, our leaders within the Ethical Trade Initiative, and I as an individual have been an activist involved with ETI since 1999. The ETI code is quite simple, and it's based on the ILO Convention. It is no forced labour, freedom of association and the right to collective bargaining, safe and hygienic working conditions, child labour shall not be used, living wages are paid, working hours are not excessive, no discrimination is practiced, regular employment is provided and no harsh or inhumane treatment exists within the workplace. Now, I can confidently state that within our supply chain and our own operations, we have rolled all those principles out, tier one supply by producing factors. In the cases of, say, for example, China, uh, where we, we do buy some stone because we're forced to, because of that lowest cost wind, we have to go there uh, to, to maintain profit, to stay in business. We can't get into the course, the government will do um, Because of I-Chain also groups things together, they don't operate a single quarry system, so they commodity code everything. For example, G603 is
3: silver grey granite. But that silver grey granite can come from upwards of 23 different corners, of which I have absolutely no input as a business. And, and, and it's, it's about educating people. So it's, for me, regulation is, is the way forward. And a business that is practicing ethically and trading ethically and embracing the SDGs uh, for, for, for the future it's absolutely nothing to fear. The only people
8: in business that would have anything to fear from raising human rights, labour standards, anti-corruption, and, corruption, and uh, the environment are those who are ruthless exploiters. And it is up to government, where they come across ruthless exploiters, to try and remove them in any way that they can, either by guidance notes or um, through, through the law, but. Going back to what I said earlier about the COVID crisis and how it has brought us to a uh, good uh, sense, the fact is that for the future, any business that creates human beings or our environment must be stopped. And that begins with government leading by example. Because if we look at the UNGP, United Nations Guiding Principles for Business and Rights, protect, respect, remedy, protect is the nation's responsibility. The respect and rallying then falls down into the corporate company. So it actually begins, in my mind, with government. It's up to government
1: to lead, and what more government leads, as we know, not just this faith but another faith, business will follow and be, and support what the government is doing. And um, thank you very much for that. We're um, going to move on then to Susan just to remind members that um, that, that we do have.
6: Other briefings, and so we can
5: keep our remarks brief. Cheers, mm-hmm. Janine. And our answers. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you very much both for your briefing uh, this morning. Uh, and Glenn, uh, I just want to pick up on, on what you said in relation to uh, responsible businesses. The businesses, on the whole, do want to be responsible. Um, however, uh, following voluntary um, activities around, uh, around uh, rights is not the way to go. It has to be uh, written in legislation and that's the way in order to to make sure that uh, uh, the rights of all workers and uh, um, all products, etc are, are respected. So um, that's a movement that I certainly would be, um, of home. The, the thing that I want to talk about, or that the issue that I want to talk about, and perhaps Lesmu can can give more information on this, is in relation to your document in Pillar 2, where we talk about uh, corporate responsibility in respect to human rights, and you're talking about developing a human rights based approach in publication and adoption of employment policies, and you actually specifically talk about gender equality, uh, and also about child care and family-friendly policy. Uh, yeah, I am particularly concerned about both of those at the moment as a result of COVID um, because you know, women are more adversely affected in terms of jobs uh, and redundancies coming forward and also raising um, childcare, care uh, policies uh, and, and child care in, 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 in every aspect. Um, was was a very very difficult problem, and I think that there's an awful lot of um, rights in of women that are under under pressure at the moment, and, and I wonder you know are you specifically looking at this because I see as one of the key areas of, is uh is about zero hour contracts, and how uh, people's rights are actually flowed uh, out of, of, of the system and, and sometimes um, I know we are optimistic in terms that Covid has kind of shot a light on, on how we to protect people but sometimes when businesses are under pressure um, they don't behave as well as we would like them to so you know there are there are uh, particular sectors in particular Groups of people that are under pressure at the moment as a result of that. And also, if I can maybe get you to reflect on what impact you think Brexit is going to have on um, employment rights generally uh, and basically human rights in particular. Uh, And we we talked uh, uh, about uh, the European Court of Human Rights uh, and what impact of us leaving the EU. Um, it's like when we have in the back and do you think that there's any appetite within the UK to actually diverge from some of the, the human rights for health within within the European Union? Sorry, that's an awful lot, but um, there is an awful lot in this document that I'd really like to be interrogating a lot further.
7: Um, I, <clears throat> actually, I'll be brief, I'm, I'm conscious of time. So, uh, in terms of workplace, just to give you three quick examples of where um we looked at issues. Uh, we had a presentation from the Irish Congress of Trade Unions on child care as a workplace issue. And uh, there's a campaign on that about getting employers to be aware of those issues. We looked at having vulnerability, perhaps somewhat quite surprisingly, but of employers to look at signs of domestic abuse, so there were issues around um, uh, if a woman can uh, or anyone, the other woman being, uh, for example, a victim of domestic abuse, that you should be able to see the signs in the workplace because you may be able to help that woman, um, and that's good for your own productivity. with the right thing to do. Many employers don't think of those issues as workplace issues. And we did um, work on <coughs> looking at some best practice in the building industry around mental health of workers, particularly those who are sent away, or contracts away from home and how work was done there. So, those are workplace issues, and that's the kind of thing that we want to, to, to highlight. In terms of leaving the EU, let me uh, pick up that very really quickly. The Human Rights Commission and the Equality Commission will both become dedicated mechanisms for when we leave the EU. That's about the protection of um, the rights, the morale problem and the rights safeguards of the quality of the opportunity section of the, the Friday Agreement. It also entails in the Ireland Northern Ireland Protocol um, that we will keep pace with certain areas of EU law and it includes equal treatment in employment and self employment, access to goods and services, and um, social security, and also some non discrimination EU provisions. So there are some safeguards that we have um, built into the Ireland Northern Ireland Protocol. So that's something that both ourselves and the Equality Commission will want to make sure are robustly monitored and and maintained. Now, do we bring it to Greg, to Glenn, sorry. Very
8: thanks, uh, Les. Uh, I mean, no discrimination is practiced, no harsh or inhumane treatment are the foundation stones of the ETI, and within that, comes about gender equality
3: gender
8: recognition and and once a a, a corporate signs up to the ETI-based program begins the process of evolution,
3: because there's four ranking stages in ETI there's the baseline matter, there's then
8: the improver, achiever and leader, and and that's independently assessed on on an annual basis as you go through the process. Um, So that's how I, as a corporate um, would be defining our our workplace scenarios and, and what we're just talking about. But yes, I recognise that there are others who are ruthless exploiters within business. And I mean, we've seen it recently. Uh, I mean, Arcadia, what's happening with Devons and so on and so forth,
3: and it's, it's horrendous. Mm-hmm. In regards to Brexit, uh,
8: I don't think that, that for this committee, I should be speaking on it. You know, I am a businessman who doesn't see any good out of Brexit, um, for me, breakfast a breakfast Brexit um, will annihilate the well-being um, of Northern Ireland PLC, and it has already done uh, a huge injustice to our company and its trading position. Um, because people, particularly because I operate in the Republic of Ireland as well as the North, people. Won't give us business because of fear of the supply chain being breached. We cannot give at the minute, I cannot give supply chain assurances because of the incompetence of of uh, what's happening in Western. So I wouldn't be someone who could comment on Brexit because purely I think you just did. I see no good Brexit.
1: Whatever. Um, thank you very much
3: Glen and uh, Les for that, and
10: um, we'll move on then to, to John O'Day please. Uh, thank you Glenn and Les. Uh, a very interesting presentation, and the fact that we have Glenn in front of us who's a quarry operator talking about human rights I think is very enlightening and, and a welcome development. Uh, that, that industries are involved in this process and practice and trying to develop it uh, even further, so well, well done to all involved. However, I have a slight question in my head, well, I have a significant question in my head. Um, given the nature of, and the relationship between Caterpillar, the company, and the Israeli army, and Caterpillar's and the Israeli army's activities in Palestine, how can the vice-chair of your company, be a, or of the group, be a representative of Caterpillar?
7: Yeah, I think that was to me, John. Um, you know, I understand that. I, we took an early decision, and people can be critical of this um, as a commission, but do we set the bar high and simply talk to organisations and preach to the converted, or do we try and set a set of principles and then engage with companies um, and we took the decision that it would be better to do the latter. Um, I kind of, um, a quote of a former colleague of mine in the commission who used to quote my Bevan, which was, um, uh, being pure yet impotent um, is probably not the way to go. So yes, I think you're quite right. There are, if, if we decided to try and do some kind of um, audit of every company before they could join the forum, I suspect we probably struggle with how many people sitting around the table and we'd be talking to those who are already converted, so that's the basis on which we've set the bar low, and we feel it's more important to talk to company and persuade them than exclude
10: them from the conversation Well well, except if, if the purpose is to convert then that, that that's a noble cause um, and I wish you well with it uh, I'm not sure. Well, how and how you elect as chair and vice-chair of your grouping is a matter for yourselves. Um, but I do hope the emphasis is on conversion with a number of them. But on another matter, um, Les, I think you touched on the basis that you had engagement with students and universities. Could you elaborate on that a bit further, please? Um, yeah, well, uh, um, both Ken uh, and I have very involved. We, we had
7: a series of annual kind of debates uh, from the business schools of both universities to um, the STEP kind of tasks. We now have a module with the Queen's University Business School, which is kind of three separate session that's a voluntary commitment, but a number of people to do this, which looks at human rights and business and the global framework and how, again, uh, human rights can play a role in business. Um, and I've been quite distant just about to start its second year, um, and we had a number of students who've gone through that. The, what we see, I think, is that when students are at business schools at the two main universities, what we want to do is make sure that students are exposed and have the opportunity to hear about uh, business and human rights. It's not something that's generally embedded into the curriculum of business school. So um, it's, a, it's about starting that kind of conversation to make sure that uh, human rights is embedded in in both um, study as well as in practice.
10: Okay. Is, yeah. is there any engagement with the colleges, Liz, uh, with the further higher or the higher education colleges?
7: Um, no, we haven't had an opportunity to do that, and there's a kind of resource limitation um, in practice. We'd love to be able to do a great deal more than we currently can, but in practice, given we're a small organisation, that's just not been possible
10: okay thank
3: you uh, john
8: the uh, the business and human rights student ambassador program that takes at Queen's. i know that they certainly invite um uh, university along to that and uh, les and i tara and other members have been along to every meeting and basically the purpose of the program um, is to equip the students with the knowledge basic knowledge and skills to act as ambassadors to promote ethics and human rights within business during both their academic studies um, and their future professional careers. So it's, it's really about getting them early and, and then eradicating that ignorance that exists around business and human rights and labour standards, et cetera, et cetera, um, and, and so that they can progress with that knowledge safely throughout the rest of their professional careers. But certainly during the, the Business and Human Rights Student Ambassador Program, it's open to both Queens and Ulster University, although it
1: is hosted up
8: a global ball
10: Okay, thank you.
1: Thanks, John. And can we bring Claire in, please? Thank you, Chair, and good morning,
11: Les and um, Gillian. I I suppose with um, with uh, modern slavery and, and, and trafficking, it's as much about you know what's happening on the ground and what people's perceptions of it are. You know, and um, we all know that you know some people wouldn't even recognise that they are either being trafficked or or they are you know being taken advantage of. I suppose I, I was speaking to an ethnic minority uh, group uh, quite recently, um, and they had suggested to me that it's it's practical things um, that are happening, which which is giving rise to them being exploited. Um, you know, So for example, I don't know how, you know, I, I can't confirm this, and maybe you can, but for example, we're the only region of the UK where people cannot get a national insurance card or number. And that's quite concerning, because then that means they can't work legally, and then they can't provide for their family, and all those practical things that they do, um, or, you know, or that they are pursuing, or people are exploiting them, is for the basis of trying to, to, to earn, and, and get food on the table. So I suppose, it, it, are there any other examples, and particularly to Northern Ireland, apparently this is a very specific, um, issue that, that you're familiar with that we could be doing better here too, so that we're not almost setting the context in which people are being allowed uh, to be treated in this way. I, I'll give you one, one small example. I, I, I'm not familiar
7: with the, the national insurance issue. I mean, there are... Um, the separate legislation about getting a national insurance number out of the way that it was different from, from um, the rest of the UK. I'll give you one small thing that could be done. I was very impressed when I had a presentation at the forum where in Scotland, for example, every police officer has a small laminated card with six signs of human trafficking. So if, for example, you visit a house in multiple occupation and you have a lot of people living under one roof, um, what you might look out for if you're visiting because of a a domestic incident or whatever. that's the kind of, you know, the kind of end of training and a very simple kind of method. Those are the kind of practical things we could do here. Um, one of the ways in which um, an issue came to the attention um, I know was, for example, in Kii, County Ala some years ago, a group of people were standing at 6:30 in the morning waiting for a bu- just waiting by the side of the room. And a member of the public drove past, saw them at half six. Drove back again at the end of work, 10, 12 hours later, and they were all still standing there and rang the police to say this was a very odd thing. Mm-hmm. And what had happened was that the bus to pick up these migrant um, workers to take them to work hadn't turned up, and they were so uh, cowed, if you like, and defer- deferential that they didn't know what to do. Now, those are the kind of things that we could be more aware of. So, a lot of this is about general awareness of, of the issues. And we're aware as the public. So I think there's things that we can do both in the Department of Justice and beyond, and we should tie those initiatives
11: across government departments. No, no I, I agree with that because I think, as well, you, know, you make a really important point that you know, whether it's more you know, people, hopefully, or, or people who are coming to Northern Ireland, they don't recognise that they are actually being exploited because currently the, the standards that existed in, in the, their homes where they came from were perhaps less than even staffed that are here but that doesn't make them right in Northern Ireland and that doesn't mean that you know anyone else you know because other people who are not subject to the same standards therefore they shouldn't be either so I think it's about trying to maybe encourage some sort of communication around um, what it actually is and what it looks like on the ground because it isn't that typical kind of stereotypical thing that we, that we tend to think of or what we think of, of of modern slavery or human trafficking and you know, I would say there are, there are an awful lot of people who will be surprised that some of the services perhaps that they're using are actually being um, uh, staffed by people who you're who um, being exploited and, and I think we need to get that message out there more clearly because when we talk about this you know, you're right. It, it, it is happening in the UK. It's happening in, in in GB, but it's happening in Northern Ireland. And I think an awful lot of people might be quite shocked to learn what it looks like. And um, you know, and that's that's employers as well as consumers um, too. So I, you know, I, I, I think we need to do more in that respect. You know, starting from a business perspective, I'm calling is as, as a good place to start.
8: Sure, I mean, coming back to what uh, as a business we do, and I spoke briefly about it earlier, it's about mapping your supply chain, understanding your company operation and tier one, two, three breakdown until you're, in my case, I'm talking about the guys manufacturing the grates mm-hmm. that the stone goes into to the modules onto the shipping. It's about understanding that. On the more local front, if we do think about human trafficking, how many of us have been to a car wash that's £2.50 then um, potentially it would be inaugurated by people with traffic. You know, and it, it's about due diligence, it's about your own personal due diligence, and then in our sphere it's about the wider business due diligence, and it comes back to that drill that I'm always saying, the four points, labor standards, human rights, anti-corruption, and environmental due diligence, and the due diligence needs and um, what she needs earlier, and herself, it needs to be regulated. Yeah, thank you.
1: Thank you, um, on to please. thank
2: you very much um i think before i became a member here uh, one of the issues that i actually worked on in a sort of background capacity was the human trafficking and exploitation bill uh, that uh, the lord morrow put through i think a big part of um those provisions that are there uh can alleviate the problems of suffering, the suffering that's caused by human trafficking and forced servitude and uh, sexual exploitation, I think it requires the police to use the provisions and to to actively go after, um, go after those who are engaged in that criminal activity. So uh, I wonder if you could talk to that for me for a minute in terms of enforcement. And I just want to place on the record... I think that Caterpillar are a valued local employer, and I think it's dangerous when a member of the committee says that Caterpillar needs to be converted away from trading in a country. I don't want us to be dangerously close to BDS territory there, and I want no part of that. Israel. I didn't ask
10: you support I was making and have a comment well, don't wish to
2: support that's okay well I would suggest that workers in Israel mm. have more rights than they do uh, in the countries that neighbor Israel particularly Correct. female workers Israel is a democratic state and I would suggest to you that the human rights regime that, it, that pertains in Israel is a lot more progressive than that which pertains in the countries around it the problem so is I just human rights
10: record in Palestine yeah that's what I'm worried about
2: well I just think well I just think it's important that an alternative viewpoint is put on the record on that but um, let's not get into the Israel-Palestine dispute because we could be here all year Um, but I think uh, if you could just talk to in terms of at home the legislative provisions that we have, how um, you see enforcement in terms of trying to just stamp out on this sort of activity and I suppose better education in terms of local companies being aware of the provisions that are there.
7: Yeah. Um, briefly, first of all, I think Lord Morrow's, uh, to Lord Morrow's great credit, the um, campaign vote to get the, the bill and um, and Claire and their departmental colleagues. It's something we've worked very closely with Lord Morrow and my time in the Law Centre. In terms of enforcement, a lot of issues around. It. Um, in terms of having statements and and having a turnover of more than thirty six million that um, many small businesses in Northern Ireland have a much smaller turnover than that. We are uh, an economy of small business, Mm. so there are some issues in terms of the legislation um, and those who have a turnover of more than 36 million, we have lots of examples of, as I said earlier, a kind of formulaic response, and so we have to kind of move beyond that. In terms of enforcement, um, of course you've got to be aware of it, and it is about... Consumer power. It is about um, making the public aware, and then it's about taking action. One issue we mentioned, and we've seen this before, but um, those who are sometimes trafficked or involved in modern slavery, then we become treated as um, part of the immigration system, rather than um, looked at as being somebody who's been exploited through through slavery. Yeah, um, things have improved at times, but that's still a major issue that we look at this through the immigration prism and not through the exploitation prism. And my other issue of enforcement, and I know this again from, from both Commission and, and uh, most of the day, had examples of um, exploitation and raised issues of employment law, criminal law, immigration law, uh, finding um, solicitors firms that know all the aspects of this, so that you can deal with it holistically, is quite difficult. I think we're getting better. There are more firms dealing, for example, with immigration law now. Um, so we probably, in an ideal world, should have some specialist resource that can deal with, uh, with this. Um, because otherwise, if you want to tackle all of the issues, then you really need to have a range of skills that aren't always in one place.
2: Mm. Thank you.
1: I would just like to reiterate some of what Les said, you know, what Lord Marlowe did
8: and uh, start the ball rolling, I mean, Northern Ireland at that time was ahead of the game in Britain, certainly in, in doing that. Obviously it focuses very much on the human trafficking mm-hmm. side of, of uh, the modern slavery act, whereas I come not things more from a transparency of supply chains and responsible procurement and to, to to the modern slavery act. Um, but yes i would just like to 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 reiterate her, certainly from, from my end which my thanks to lord Morrow for what he did on the thing to do with barbara uh being vice chair caterpillar and so on and so forth and i said it earlier it, our aim is not about naming and shaming you know the forum it's about promoting human rights through business and working relationships. It's about encouraging the promotion and fulfilment of human rights in the workplace and supply chains. It's about facilitating the participation of employees in their efforts and interests and measures to promote and fulfil human rights. It's about revol- resolving to listen and seek the views of our stakeholders. And it's about sharing good practice and experience on respecting and protecting human rights and, and certainly Barbara as an individual has been a valuable vice chair
3: uh, to me, uh, regardless of the company that em- employs me. Um, but just to, to, to say that,
8: you know, my angle to all this is very much on the supply chain and transparency and responsible procurement, whereas there's the people for the human inside of things.
2: Thank you.
0: Can we bring the chair back into the spotlight, please?
1: I was doing something funny there, <laughs> apologies. Um, Les and Diane, thank you both very much for your briefing. And as I said, I know I certainly have um, many more questions than I just got gonna- but Peter, we are a little bit today. So, um, Peter was suggesting that perhaps if we could arrange for a, an informal briefing with
8: yourselves as well, if you be willing for the committee?
1: Yeah.
0: Yes, sir. Yeah. I yeah. Chair, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and organise that briefing then. Thank you.
1: That's great. Thank you very much. Um, so, we'll move on then to our, our next briefing. Um, it, um,
0: chair appears to have frozen. Um, can we bring Richard Ramsey into the spotlight, please?
6: Not.
0: Richard, can you see us? Um, the, the, the chairs Sorry, Richard, the chair's feet has just frozen. Can we bring the chair back into the spotlight, please? Chair, can you hear us? Sinead, can you hear us? Deputy Chair, can you hear us?
5: Yes,
0: I can. Um, We we, we seem to have lost the Chair. Can I just ask you to step in and introduce Richard Ramsey, um, Item 5 on the agenda?
5: Okay, um, members of the committee have agreed that we have been honoured to be able to understand the recently of budget based scheme in order to help uh, stimulate the local economy. And we're going to hear this morning from Chief Economist of Australia, who's no stranger to this committee. And uh, I think we'll hand um, over to him now to make a statement. Thank you. Okay, thank you Deputy Chair. I suppose what I want to do just uh, to with contextualise how we got to uh, this place where we're talking about high street vouchers. And I suppose if we think of the last, uh, in the aftermath of the global
12: financial crisis, the policies that uh, were played, first of all you had the central line bank of England slash interest rates, uh, eventually from 5.34% to 0.5% which was a, a lowest level in over 300 years. Uh, you also had a backdrop, a temporary backdrop from 17.5% to 15%, which then um, was subsequently increased to 20%. That was kind of a uh, flat rate uh, across uh, everybody, wasn't targeted at, at all. And as well, if you think back to those policies, the interest rate uh, reduction led to uh, people with mortgages. Benefiting to the tune of hundreds of pounds uh, per month, uh, better off because of that. That's only if you had a, a mortgage or a house in the household, and you had it linked to a, a type of variable rate mortgage. But if you're in the private rental sector, you can benefit from that. Similarly, with the back cut, those people who were on lower incomes tend to spend the higher portion of their money on. non-bannable or no bannable goods, so they tended not to sort of benefit that as much as other people, so the up is blood blunt instrument. If you notice the look at where we are the minute, interest rates are pretty much uh, on the lower, they can reduce from uh, 0.75% to 0.1%, so the economy hasn't got the lift that it got uh, previously, and what you're seeing in emphasis is more on fiscal policy, so spending and tax, uh, tax cuts, but mostly for spending. We see the back cut again, but this time around it is month is being more targeted, where you have the, the temporary reduction in the, uh, the big tax for the hospitality sector and tourism, etc. Et uh, and that tends to be the theme of where we gone to where the support has been more targeted, trying to target those specific sectors that are being hit hardest. Vouchers have then come on our radar with the e-bout, scheme and uh, it wasn't main tested, it was available for, for everybody and uh, Northern Ireland had the highest uptake per uh, capita of, of that scheme than anywhere else in, in, in the UK. So clearly it, it had uh, a it worked in terms of stimulating uh, the economy uh, back then. What was interesting with the help scheme was that you still have to pay some some money. You didn't go in and get your real you know for free at this time. So essentially what the, the theme of that is, that uh, it was leveraging more spend from the people uh, attending uh, to do that. Um, uh, so that's the sort of context there. Then we come to the high Street we're all aware of uh, the difficulties that the high street has been in. And the, the idea of of voucher schemes, and indeed we see uh, in Australia at the minute they're introducing voucher schemes, uh, very targeted, whether it's for the tourism hospitality sector, whether it's $100, $50 discount vouchers of hotel uses and stuff because it's their the summer season at the minute. But they're also doing some kind of shopping vouchers uh, and they are very targeted so what they are doing in the likes of Melbourne is uh, they're actually doing it as a kind of competition or giving out vouchers for a specific market area. That's how you're it so we wouldn't say having vouchers for St. George's market uh, for the sake of argument. So I suppose come comes to that, uh, about the high high street scheme for Northern Ireland. I'm not aware of the details of how it exactly it or could or or would work. But what I want to do is just give you some thoughts on the economic rationale of uh, why it could be a good uh, idea, of what you could do to improve it, maximise it, listen, and all of those kind of things. So I suppose in terms of what we think uh, initially for the voucher scheme. What you wouldn't want it to be, you would want it to be targeted at those businesses that have been hit uh, hardest. So there would be, what you've seen in Northern Ireland, there's been some retailers have done uh, uh, relatively well, some have done uh, ex- ex- extremely well,
2: uh, whereas others haven't.
12: And it's those ones which have been that suffered under various lockdown restrictions would be at uh, face back value uh,
3: more... Uh, uh, it, it should be where the uh, support should be targeted at more than ever. So you wouldn't want to have a
12: Northern Ireland retail scheme because if you have a budget of 95 million, that's going to be, they look across the and the actual added uh, sort of like benefit of that uh, is going is to be minimised. Because what you want in terms of this is to try and encourage people uh, to, to do what they wouldn't normally do in the absence of a... a or stimulus or an incentive. And uh, I think well, what you have to bear in mind is what's happened with the consumer. We've, it's been largely within into two camps where we've had some consumers uh, who haven't lost their they've uh, been working from home and actually their bank balances have actually been rising and they've actually more money to spend uh, but they just don't have the opportunity to spend lot of lockdowns, etc. So there is a lot of then demand there. Conversely, you've got those people who've been furloughed or who've lost their jobs and uh, uh, they have lost their ability to spend, so even whenever you have block restrictions listed, etc, you're going to see a lack of stimulus or you're going to see a lack of demand coming uh, from from that group. So, uh, so I post- if, 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 if uh, you're do nothing and there's no vouchers whatsoever, what I would anticipate happening whenever the lockdown restrictions and uh, lift, um, we get closer to where the vaccine rollout and things like that, we so we'll get into the kind of March Easter time and like that, you will see pent-up demand returning, particularly those people who uh, have uh, had their incomes protected and have this pent-up demand. So that will happen anyway. Where you are going to see that the difficulties is for the other group of people where that demand is going to be there. So what can be distributed? Uh, how can you do that? If you were giving, uh, say for example, quality tools which are available to the, the executive if you tip the likes of uh, rate policy, domestic rates, and you just reduce domestic rates for state department two of argument about £200, that money would be saved. Uh, the money can be spent but not in the way that helps actually. It can be just spent online. It you be just spent uh, on anything uh, else. Plus you have people in rental accommodation with the benefit of that. So you have limited policy tools items uh, your disposal to do anything other than
3: do consider schemes uh, such as this.
12: So then in terms of what what is it designed to do, you're designed to get uh, people out to uh, spend money, particularly it would be most beneficial for those who don't have their uh, savings built up uh, on the back of this crisis, and how they can behind street and whether it's targeted, time-bound, whether it's voucher, uh, whether it's, uh, and the thing is, if, if it's a voucher as opposed to cash, it actually guarantees a transaction where there's actually economic activity is generated, where if it's just uh, cash, you can spend somebody else. Here. But it's also the key benefits in this is going to be how can you, how well can you target it? Because if you do give it to I anybody, mean, and it's not being tested, it's like a need-out-of-help-out scheme, it's only the issue there is that you then have people who otherwise don't spend money, don't need to do that because they've now got a voucher. But the benefits of doing that, even though they're... The downside to that, because you would argue that these people need it, uh, would be that it, it stand, encouraging people to spend money uh,
1: Department's thinking is in around it, and, and we are getting it even after yourself from from officials. Um, so I guess what some of it in terms of what our from my perspective is it's a bit of a blank page, but we're trying to get an idea of what might be the best way to do things. Um, and I think that you, you mentioned. Um, the, you know, how to direct this, how to target it, what retailers you might target it at um, and then I, I, I suppose on the flip side of that there might be an argument about giving consumers the choice of how they want to them, spend that themselves as well um, and it, you know, it's still generating income, still generating spend and potentially additional spend to what, what people might be really mm-hmm. intended to do um, so it would just maybe get your thoughts around if you have any insight or um, around any of the other schemes, the effectiveness of them in, in the likes of Jersey or Australia, how, how those have, um, have played out and that kind of, I suppose, competing interest in respect of directing it and targeting it at, at potential particular retailers but also giving people the, the opportunity to spend it how they might like to spend it as well because we are very conscious of those people who have really difficult financial circumstances at the minute, are and you know really struggling um, and that they may, for example, want to spend it on, on groceries or something like that, as opposed to, you know, potentially more luxury items or, or things that you know, yeah, those kind of shops that are also really struggling at the
12: minute. I think, I think that ultimately comes back to what is the aim of the policy, because if you have a fund to generate a high street, uh, because certainly, uh, you know, we're all aware, well aware of uh, uh, the difficulties that many families and individuals find themselves in and not being able to afford groceries and stuff. So it's almost is it this policy to do that? If so, do you make it some sort of hybrid policy where it's a high street and it's, uh, you know, to uh, make almost like real tested? Do you do a with the Department for Communities? Are you looking at, um, should it be skewed towards people who are on universal credit, for example? Those are kind of issues you can explore. I suppose the issue then would be, you know, to what extent are, People with groceries in this, people who have those definitely is that something that you should be letting other departments deal with separately? And what you're doing is you're focused on the economy perspective, but is there a way of linking the two together, for example, and having those people who are more in need that actually they have uh, vouchers to? Uh, available the rate to buy things that they otherwise could not afford, which aren't, aren't groceries and such, but whether it's children's clothing, shoes, or things like that, which still has the benefit of uh, it kind stimulating uh, the economy in that way. I know for some of the things, uh, like in Australia, uh, some of the schemes that they've done, and the kind uh, of travel vouchers, and the discounts hotel hotel uh, accommodation, and things like that, uh, some of the ones that they have been disappointed with the uptake, and I suppose that's a case of you know ultimately what you want to do is you're trying to turn up a dial of how do you support the ice cream. Do you go know too big and uh, too large where you give uh, you know a significant amount of money to uh, to all households and individuals and it ended up you you could have got the uh, more uh, result impacts by actually giving them less they would have been incentivized enough. so some of the some of the evidence against in Australia that maybe the incentives and um, the amount that they're getting is maybe not sufficient because some of the vouchers hundred dollars roughly say 50 pounds you know isn't enough for on the accommodation tourism side but
3: you know ultimately
12: that's when you're designing this policy it's how how do you do it and it's not easy but then do you then look at how because some other things that they've done in, in the industry is they have had vouchers for household security and four vouchers two for uh like kind of restaurants and um, eateries etc and another two for entertainment that are going totally out and things like that and they can use those all that so it's actually bringing it down and encouraging uh spend in in uh certain certain areas so but, uh, yes, there's also the idea of what you said, is that almost like people coming with their feet, that they actually get vouchers that they could go and uh, almost benefit the uh, local high street or shop that they have some sort of facility with, works uh, useful in that regard. But again, I'm saying it
3: comes back to, do you want people to be sending this on petrol, vehicle, Groceries, all of those sort of things that essentially you would have been spending anyway. Uh, yes, if you're uh, of low incomes, that
12: seems about it. But should you be looking at that elsewhere? But really, what you want to do is stimulate demand elsewhere. And I think one of the key things is going to be timing this policy. So, notwithstanding the kind of various health issues of virus control and whether the best time to do it. As I mentioned earlier, there's, there's this this there is going to be tent-up demand coming in, particularly from those people, whatever the street doesn't work, there is going to be tent-up demand coming in. So, in an ideal world, you don't want to be throwing money at those people who are coming anyway. It's And whether, how do you time it, where it's uh, coming in, maybe after that initial thing. So there isn't just, for example, in like the poverty market at the minute, where it's seen a bit of boom, but it's going to off next year. Uh, do you time it in a different way, or do you break down vouchers to actually get the a first installment, one or two installments, first installment initially, where you can assess how had it went, and then another three months down the line, then go again in that way? So, those just some of the, the kind of thoughts on that.
1: Okay, thanks for that, Richard. Yeah. Um. I'm I think that's an important point around the timeline of it. Is something we will explore with officials too. Um. And I, I think there's some interesting ideas there about, you know, how this mean, you know potentially things that could be done later as well in respect to other sectors. And, and there it was the announcement previously, um, the year around the tourism sector. So I think and that's something that we'll, we'll want to explore. Um. And. I think, you know, it is just an interesting debate, discussion about what the policy um, intent is um, and how you can best direct that. So um, I think that that has been useful. And I think there is other people wanting
9: to come in. I think Stuart is first. Stuart? Okay, thank you, Chair. Um, Thank you, Richard. I suppose at this stage, uh, we need to try and tease out what the actual purpose of the scheme is, What's trying to be achieved here? Is this about um, trying to stimulate the economy or is it trying to give uh, funds to individual citizens um, as a means to do that? Um, some of that, some of the devil will be in the detail when we get departmental officials coming to, to, to actually start to, to describe the scheme to us. Um, just some of the initial thoughts and things that you, you, you've been saying. You know, um, if this is about trying to stimulate the economy, then why do we not just simply give that money to uh, retail businesses in the way in which we've been doing uh, previously in the in the current pandemic, like uh, in rates relief? That's a fairly instant hit to people, um, and it puts money. Uh, it, it saves them having to pay that money out and, and retains money within their business or is it about putting money into the hands of the citizen? And if that's the case, then, you know, hotel vouchers, um, eat out to help out vouchers, those really don't, I, I have constituents who couldn't eat out to help out because they depend on food banks and very many of them have never been in a hotel as a guest. They've only been in a hotel perhaps as a kitchen porter or worker. Uh, so we need to be very careful when we start to, to, to target um, th- those types of individuals. Uh, today, for example, we've seen Tesco's nationally hand millions of pounds back to the government because they were because although they were entitled to receive uh, various reliefs, uh, I, I think probably on rates um, and other uh, community-type charges, um, so, you know, are we going to put the, hands, put the money in the hands of the large high street retailers? Again, it's about what is it we're trying to achieve? Are we trying to achieve uh, some sort of uh, financial stimulus uh, to, to, to our high streets and traders? Or are we trying to give money to the public to, to, to get a benefit out of it? Or maybe it's both of those things that we're, we're, we're trying to do. Um, it, it's, I mean, for example, it's been, it's been said today by, by, by at least one person that the state has been uh, strangling uh, and destroying livelihoods. Is that really the reality of where we're at in Northern Ireland, or are we actually trying to defeat a very serious health pandemic? Just, first of all,
12: whenever you are talking about the uh, relief, and um, uh, I saw that uh, having. In Northern Ireland, the rates relief did have exclusion, where it was more targeted as who was uh, able to avail of that. You also have to remember that you to, the, the finance minister has also extended uh, rates relief uh, well into uh, uh, in the end of next year. I think it is. So businesses aren't. You, you cannot get any more rates relief for those businesses. At the cost, Their problem is they actually getting an income. If you just give them another grant, they don't have to be open, they don't have to do anything. No economic transaction has to actually take place. Their employees don't need to be there. Uh, you know, so what this is, what you want to do when you stimulate high street is you want to stimulate Well, with the, the likes of, say, say, hotel vouchers or restaurant vouchers or things like that, where it actually means that uh, the demand does come
9: back. There's food producers and the supply chain, which is involved in buying that restaurant or cafe. They're all, uh, that all keeps moving and it doesn't grind to a Whereas if you just get really or to you just get a cash grant. That doesn't necessarily guarantee or incentivize uh, that anything positive from an economic activity or a point of view actually takes uh, uh, place. But on that basis, they, they, they help out. the need out to help out arguably uh, was a massive contributor to the second wave of coronavirus. So timing will be essential in relation to when this type of funding would be rolled out. The last thing we want to do is have a contribution to a third or fourth wave of a very, very serious illness.
12: Absolutely. Uh, the timing, timing is key. Uh, it's also interesting if you of the out the help it was
3: there were restrictions at the time of when it could be used, so it was not at the weekend. Um, ultimately well you ended end up introducing so
12: many caveats and so many rules and regulations for the scheme that can make very difficult to actually implement. But you know, that could be targeted or whether it's even scattered where certain households or individuals would get their vouchers at a certain time and other people would get it
9: a few weeks later
6: and things like that, but, obviously, health concerns uh, are, an, uh, are an issue which has uh, be taken into account. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thanks Chair. Um, can we bring in thanks, Chair, and thanks very much for your presentation. Uh, Richard, um, as I say it, I believe it, you know, it should be seen as an economic stimulus about uh, trying to stimulate the economy and I think it's a great time. Let's be positive about the economy and about our country. The news that we got today about the vaccine now being approved and being a- accredited and has now been available or will be available shortly, I think it's great news. And, and all of this keep, should be, can be seen as a positive um, factor. And I want to see um, the economy growing, growing and starting to turn the corner. Uh, after all the restrictions has been, which have been necessary, and um, otherwise it wouldn't be there. They were necessary because of a health ep- epidemic that had to be addressed. Um, but I believe you know, it's there to stimulate the economy. The issue about means testing, I think, uh, I don't believe it should be means tested. I think there's this always this uh, argument that uh, working families who are living on the limits and have not much... Spare money to uh, to go around those families. I think obviously would we receive that support in many ways. Are excluded from support, and there's been considerable support for such for other families through the Department of Communities, and that's been welcome and, and well received, and and focused on those in need. But I think it's uh, it, it's a real opportunity for everyone everyone to get. To get a voucher and to get out there and to spend and to boost the local economy, come probably it'll probably be the springtime. How it's managed is going to be a challenge. Um, whether we can restrict it to the high streets, personally I do think the lack of the business parks who have done well out of the restrictions and generally have been open and where people can drive to, and we all do it, all drive to pick up your, your goods and, 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 and go back home again, those areas you wonder how it can be managed in a fair way, uh, you do see that it needs to be a real focus on the high street, those independent businesses that today are closed, while the multinationals around their towns are open, there people, and we all have got it, you know the feedback in relation to that. that, they the feel that it's unfair. My um, other points, just a couple of other points. Um, Richard, while you're there, um, there seems to be a lot of positivity in relation to the construction industry. I've got a report here from the, the Belfast Telegraph business section. They're talking about Northstone Construction Giant reports 11.7, £11.7 million pound profit this year. In the past year, um, boss of Northstone and parent says, parent company says all furlough support has been repaid. So, mm. just like your thoughts on that, uh, the other point that we get f- feedback from estate agents is the issue of the limit on mortgages for, for first-time buyers, where they're limited to 80%. Now, a family buying a house at 160000 would need around £24,000 deposit. That's a real challenge, especially for young people. So, is there any flexibility there in relation to um, mortgage lenders, including the, the Ulster Bank? I'd mm-hmm. like your thoughts on that. Thanks, Chair.
12: Well, in terms of the uh, maximum of the value uh, that is uh, the deposits that are required, it's 85%. Is what a lot of lenders, including ourselves, are, are offering. One of the issues from the last crisis was that. Uh, the uh, loan values or the maximum amount was viewed as too high and that was what the regulators said and came back and told the banks that they would have to account for that going forward. So in many ways I suppose it's focused this idea of uh, responsible lending and responsible borrowing and what we do have uh, in Northern Ireland is a co-ownership uh, segment which uh, the requirements for the deposit are are more attractive for for people in terms of they have to pay uh, less deposit to, to get on the property matter. So there's no those opportunities as well. Just in terms of the construction market as well, I would be careful in just uh, things, uh, singling out a single firm because um what we're seeing with the construction market is and with the construction industry. It has been doing relatively well given the pipeline of work that's been coming in for the last few years. What I would be concerned about, about construction is the pipeline of work going forward. And so while things appear good and rotate now, it's when we go into twenty twenty one and beyond, that work just isn't coming in to keep up to keep up the uh, orders.
6: But well, why wouldn't it come in, you know, if government contracts are, are being progressed and why w- why would it not come in? I appreciate COVID has had an effect, but a lot of construction work, and we, we all see it in our constituency, especially in the housing sector, has continued. Yeah, but the housing, even if, you know, the
12: housing market, there has been a rebound in the house building. But uh, even this year, you still have about
3: 1,200 fewer houses built in the first uh, uh, nine months this year relative to last year because there was a disruption
12: uh, disruption because of uh, covid etc so that's the same when you look at property transactions as well while state agents are saying things are extremely buoyant and october we had more transactions in, in month of october i have been october for 14 years for the year as a whole transactions are still down over a quarter. so we're only seeing that three quarters of what was passed through last year so
3: there is reduced, reduced flow uh, kind of going through uh, as well. Clearly a lot of the, the demand and the from uh, GP and in terms of some of the, the building uh, capital investment that's announced for, for house building in, in GP will be one that uh, construction firms here have a lot of opportunity there but my
12: own sense speaking with the industry as well is that
6: they're concerned about the pipeline going forward for the the next couple of years. Okay. Just on the the mortgage thing, Chair, just finally, uh, are you aware of the government-announced scheme in in the mainland? The Prime Minister was pushing it where there was a a government-guaranteed scheme for first-time buyers where they would possibly get 90%, 95% mortgages. Is there any indication that that will apply to Northern Ireland?
12: I'm, not sure that that's
3: actually,
1: I, I, I'm aware
6: that that was what the Prime Minister said, but I'm not aware that that has actually been coming to being yet oh, as a, a specific policy. It was, it was flagged, but it's yeah. not
1: something that I've seen any further follow-up on uh, as yet. Okay, thanks for that, Richard. Thank you. Thanks, Chair. Thank you, Gordon. Um, Go ahead, please.
0: Can we bring Gary Middleton into the spotlight, please?
4: Thanks, Sharon. Thanks, Peter. Hopefully, uh, i the spotlight. Well, thanks, Richard, uh, for uh, your presentation today. Obviously, we're all aware of the challenges of our High Street, and not more so than this week when you see some of the major retailers have uh, been affected in a significant number of jobs take have to us service, so we're well aware of that. I think in terms of the high-speed high producer we have we hear a lot of comments uh, from various uh, interested uh, individuals and groupings. So Belfast Chamber have come out, they've been hugely supportive of the scheme. I know the chamber not Gary has been supportive, And uh, it's been widely recognized as a stimulus fact, and something but given. Uh, you know, people uh, into into our high streets and into our towns and these centres to try and stimulate uh, growth once again. so I think that's been very clear I don't know why people would be confused with that and I think that the other issue is around we need to ensure that we keep this initiative simple when we start to overcomplicate matters I think that it confuses two things first of all it has an impact on delivery but it also has an impact in terms of the public understanding so it's important that we don't overcomplicate uh, an initiative that's been widely welcomed by all within the sector. so we need, we need to take up that on board. In terms of the timing of, of this scheme, absolutely, it's very it's important that we get the timing right. The, the timing, the, the, well in terms of the, the, the finance and the money, the money has to be spent,
3: this government money has to be spent by uh, or before the end of March. So uh,
4: we're looking at February-March time in terms of this initiative. We also need yeah, to that coincides and works alongside the fantastic news today of that vaccine uh, coming forward. And whilst we will obviously be cautious in terms of putting too much weight into that, we should be positive and optimistic that uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel. But we also have to work alongside uh, the, the, the restrictions and that exit strategy as we come out of those restrictions and continue to open our economy. So all of these things have to play a part. But again, my for my I suppose you know, in all of this is to ensure that we do keep it simple. Let's not overcomplicate uh, an initiative that has been has been widely welcome, but it is something that we can try and get um let's just be despair in our ice cream. Um that's really wanful as well, too much extra touched on the time, uh, issue of well, why not just give grants to businesses. But grants do more of the multiplier effect that this fight-push will have, and I think that that's what we're going once, uh, what you will do in the same CMO will we'll not get us out of this crisis. We have to be able to move, uh, we have to be forward-thinking, and we have to do things, uh, and a better way to go forward. So that's really all I really want to say. I appreciate that that's probably more of a statement on my part than, than a question for yourself, but I do welcome uh, your very uh, valuable expertise in this matter and out the Department for the Economy and many officials to listen intently in terms of what you have to say. So I really do appreciate you coming today. Not at all. Uh, one thing I would just out as well remember, it's also going
12: to be for the the retailers and the high street and how it markets, advertises, and delivers on this scheme as well, and how joined up that is, you know, and how do they, uh, you know, maximise the effectiveness of it, not compromising the the public, uh, health sort of restrictions, but how do they maximise to get aboard, get on board, to get the message out? So, because ultimately. If you are going down this route of having retail vouchers, you want to stimulate football and you want to leverage more spend where people are out, they're spending more,
4: they're uh, dealing in the hospitality uh, sector, uh, eating out, etc., and encouraging them uh, to want to do that and, and to spend more money. Yeah, Richard, that's a very valuable point because it is important that of all of these schemes. That work is done jointly with those, uh, those high street retailers, ensuring that the messages are driving up, that they're uh, consistent, and that the housing scheme does effectively what we're setting out for it to do, uh, which is to ensure that we can get uh, our high street retailers up in, in a much better fashion than they are at this moment in kind of time. So,
1: thanks, Richard, for that. Uh, thanks, Gary. Um, I'm a- so just a, a, a point there on because I, I was thinking of it myself as well. money has to be spent by the end of the year, but does that mean that? And this may be a question more so to officials and for yourself. The the vouchers would have to be put in place before the end of the year, but the scheme may not necessarily have to be rolled out before the end of March. It could be timed after that. Would that be your understanding? Sorry, you in me,
12: Tara. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I suppose in theory, if the it, it was cars or whatever, and the cars are loaded up, and that stand has been added, but you know, that's that's
1: what the DfE officials probably will be able to. answer. Hopefully, be able to answer things. Shani, um, can you Shani, just spot, like please.
5: Thank you, Richard, for your presentation. Um, What I would would say is that um, rather than just keeping the voucher scheme simple, I think it has to be really properly designed. Uh, And we do know that it is the principal part of it is that it has to be a financial stimulus. But it has to be a financial stimulus for those businesses most in need. And I think it has to be um, designed in a way that that local independent retailers can benefit from it. Um, Multinationals tend to be online, um, uh, online businesses. And, and, and not everybody in the High Street are suffering from COVID in the same way. So therefore, I think the stimulus packet, package has to be designed uh, properly, and that's not simple, and it's not simple to do. And I think to run out uh, with a voucher scheme that's not properly thought out about who needs to benefit from it, would be, would be a big mistake, and I think it would be something that would come back and invite uh, the Department for Economy, so I would say, you know, take your time, make sure you design a package that does what you want it to do, and that is uh, stimulate uh, the, the local economy. I um, would also, uh, you know, I would I, I wonder what risks there might be. Um, in, in, in the design concept of, of a voucher scheme uh, such as this as well, because there, there, there could be risks uh, in relation to, to whatever way it's designed. Um, I think we need to just take a breath here and, and discuss all of the the loopholes that may appear in, uh, in such a scheme um, that is not truly benefiting those that it's intended to be. Or that it may be exploited, and you know, I'd like to think of, you know, is there transferable, you know, is there a transfer system in, in these vouchers where, where those people who do not need it can um, can can pass their vouchers over to those people who who need uh, support? But I don't think it just has to be a financial path, stimulus, or the high street, which of course, as uh, is, is a benefit, but it can help support those that are in lower incomes or those that have been really adversely and actually affected by COVID. It should be able to, to do both. And that means that it has to be designed really, really carefully. So uh, I wouldn't say uh, keep it simple. I think really look into how this um, is going to benefit uh, our local communities. Uh, And, you know, big internet, big multinationals do not need to benefit from this this type of stimulus. They are already benefiting uh, from the very nature of the structures of their bodies and organisations and the fact that a lot of them are online. And I think that this has to be about our small, indigenous, local independence in all of our streets. That's who needs to benefit from, from this package. So it needs to be carefully thought out and carefully designed. Okay. Sorry, um, Richard, in there was the question Is there a risk in the design concept of, of, of um, for businesses or for or the Department for Economy? In fact, is there a risk in there? Because we have seen early design for, uh, programs coming forward and they have benefited nobody back to who it is you want to, to target, and if, if it is so, uh, businesses on the high street
12: which have suffered the models which are currently experiencing lockdown restrictions, uh, that's where you would want to target it, uh, because uh, if you don't do that and you do it for everybody, that's just then uh, losing the stimulus and uh, it, it's not having the desired effect. So, the, in the same way as we have the Ferdinand scheme where Ferdinand scheme was referring to when people were employed or on the payroll, You know, to me it would seem that it's those businesses which have the lockdown restrictions applied to, whether it's like currently or whatever, those are the ones which are going to be uh, designed. You know, because there is a danger that, yes, there's an imperative to uh, have money spent and use resources, but you still want to do that as efficiently and as effectively as possible. Uh, to target exactly uh, what you want, you know, because it's like having a vaccine, you don't want to run vaccine out as quickly as possible, and you don't apply it right, and it doesn't get the desired effect, similarly uh, with these kind of policies as well. Because ultimately, I think future schemes are going to be with us throughout 2021 in some shape or form. When you think of the culture, arts sector, theatres, all those kind of things, there's going to have to be stimulus packages of how you do that, and it's very difficult giving them rates relief or reduce their cost base doesn't do it. They need demand and that needs to be stimulated at the income. So I think vouchers is going to be with us. Uh, not good <clears> for this, but maybe beyond that in different ways in the same way as be help out most of the one off you know we're going to see vouchers
5: here in, in other areas. Ninety five million pounds is an awful lot of money and it could do an awful lot of good. Um, but it needs to be very much targeted properly uh, and, and let's not make a mistake of just rolling around because we've got a March deadline. Um, as I say, we've got a there's a track record within the Department for our Economy for, our, for delivering current projects because of a rush. Um, we want this to have a maximum impact and do uh, you know stimulate our local economies and our local uh, businesses out there who are in desperate need and we've seen it. Um, we've seen it over the last uh, week, how desperate our high streets are, but we need to be very careful in how we run this out. And there's people, you know, uh, I know a lot of people that are saying, well I don't need vouchers, I will be giving mine away, or I will, you know, uh, donate mine to, to other bodies that can use them more effectively. And, and there has to be a mechanism in doing that as well because and um, not everybody needs needs the vouchers because they will as you talk about the pent up spend uh, and we've seen that um uh, that you know people will go out and, and spend money whenever um the, the shops and the retail does open but there are other people that can't go out and spend because their money has been withdrawn from them through unemployment etc etc so. Uh, if that benefits them as well then, then you know it's a one-one. Thanks, Shane. Um, we'll on to clarity
1: uh, Thank you, Chair.
11: As you know, I'm quite interested in you know, how this will practically work
3: on the ground. Are, are you aware of any examples where um, you
11: can contain the use of you know, a, a debit card or a, or a master card within a particular postcode or within a particular type of shop um, because I suppose that's what um, the, the department is saying that it will not be able to be used everywhere and it will only be able to used in particular areas but it, how, how does that work practically? Are there examples of that? I suppose the other comment I would make as well is in relation to it being a voucher rather than a, a help out uh, to, uh, to, or eat out the help out because that, that's a contained, um, a, a voucher would be a contained type of scheme. So it's a very specific amount of money given to a very specific number of people. Whereas my understanding of the, the eat out the help out scheme is that. It was. We it got to the, the various restaurants and cafes to submit um, the the fifty percent of what they were claiming uh, uh, they, they were coming back the, the the money that they were saving if you like by by offering it at fifty percent or whatever else, um and, and does that mean then schemes like this are more likely if they are continued because obviously budgets are not infinite so. Um, I, I suppose it's just around the mechanism which they've chosen to use to try and understand it from a department's perspective and a budgetary
5: perspective,
11: um, and also how it could practically work on the ground. Uh very good questions I'm afraid I'm probably just not the the
12: person to deliver the answers. But yes, uh, those are the issues of how easy it is to gain that. To him. I know like one of the examples I was talking about in Australia where it's my understanding of course they were kinda of like physical physical vouchers that you would have and hand over as opposed to a car which you could go up and then get that sort of credit. But clearly, you know, in terms of speaking with the uh behind the screen retailers who use these kind of cars, how they can be, you know, how this can be done. I suppose that's what we have to have to be looking at. Same with maybe whether it's the kind of electricity companies and they have all their cars and things like that, or the mobile phone industry, it's kind of big thinking of, of, of things like that. Um, yes, how, how do we contain it? Because it is this, if you don't contain it, then effectively it's then the value of the stimulus is has been spread and just over
11: and above and it's not as impactful as if it is in the game where it's uh, required. Yeah, and I suppose I was thinking out loud, loud, there are other schemes. Um, it's almost like even as a gift for you voucher, I can't recall, where you can spend um, one voucher in a number of different types of shops. Um, you know, so when you're, you know, maybe when people are purchasing those uh, for, for gifts or, 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 uh, um, or whatever, you don't have
3: to be just, I suppose, contained to one store department, you know, so I, I will have the
11: departments looking at it in that perspective, and again, that, that would be a huge job for the department, because it's almost the department giving their um, opinion about where you should be spending money, and, you know, I think that's getting into a bit of like, uh, kind of area, uh, you know, which i am not you know, contained about, I think,
1: you know, as adults, we all make our own choices about what we stand. So I, I think it will be difficult. But yeah, just, just thinking about. Thank
3: you. <laughs> um, Richard, thank you very much for that. Yo-ho, cha- yo-ho, chair, yo-yo, chair
0: yo-yo, yo-yo. hang on, no, 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 chair, chair. We still have two members, John and Christopher. Hmm.
6: Oh, sorry, sorry. Did you not get any oh, vouchers?
10: John, okay, no, no, no problem, mm-hmm. chair. Uh, I'm just thinking in terms of I'm no big fan of multinationals either uh, but the idea that, that people won't be able to spend their money in them. If we look at yesterday several hundred jobs gone from Debenhams and Arcadia which are all part of a multinational uh, corporation but the people who work in them are local people uh, and their jobs are gone so I'm not sure exactly what the high street is anymore in 2020. Would
2: you take you know, a point? Just very a quick point. A hundred quid further on Tesco and it will in the high street especially if you're someone that's just been made unemployed
10: uh, yeah and the it also has to be said that you're more likely and I, I have to emphasize I'm not a big fan of multinationals but you're more likely to be a member of a trade union and you're more likely to be paid above the minimum wage so all those things have to be taken into account in terms of how we stimulate our economy uh, so what I'm not sure in terms of what local exactly means but the point I want to make is this I want to see a scheme that sustains and creates well-paid jobs. Uh, and if it's only restricted to the high street, I'm not sure that will do it. So is there a way in terms of a scheme which allows people to spend spend this in the economy? Uh, for instance, I, I look at, um, there was a question earlier on around the construction industry, now £200 or £100 not to go too far in the construction industry, mm-hmm. but. When you look at small construction firms, small maintenance firms, and you look at the amount of DIY that's gone on in people's homes, and has gone on in people's homes over the summer, um, if they were to benefit from the voucher scheme, I can see jobs being sustained and created through that. And my last question, Richard, is, is £95 million, is it significant enough to create changes in prices? Cut it... Have the impact of driving up prices rather than reducing prices, or is it simply not significant enough to do that?
12: I don't think it would drive prices up, and then that also comes back to how do you engage your retailers whenever you're going to, uh, if you're going to announce this scheme and rule it out? What is their high end? Are, how are they going to market it? And, uh, but I can't see how it would be. Seem to be uh, in, in inflationary, but it's whether do you, do you use it and coincide with do they have sales or things like that because uh, to try and stimulate activity because as much as what they do, and what are they going to do to, to market it uh, is kind of important. Uh, I think the, the point you made on the, the kind of construction workers and trades and things like that is that's an area which. Uh, my understanding is, you know, like the pent of demand, the lockdown is huge. I know
3: personally trying
12: to get a get get a joiner back in September, I and mean, he was then talking about. Well, it's going to be next year, right from right from the the start, just because of the 10th of demand coming in. So, if you try to design vouchers or things for them again, that comes to the point of pent-up demand, or you throw money at things when it's not actually needed for required, and it would be better to wait until. There is a time, or there's other schemes that you can do uh, to try and stimulate the, the kind of DIY. Because DIY, everybody who's had the discretionary spend, who hasn't been able to go away on holiday or do things, has been turning to their homes, fixing them up and doing all that. So there is a kind of wall of money coming their way at the minute. Uh, but what, where that turns and that changes, then that's what you have to look at those other things.
2: Okay. Thank you.
1: Thanks,
2: John. Thank you very much. I think <clears throat> I think the the point around keeping it simple is important. This is not this idea does not form part of the government's anti-poverty strategy. This is an economic stimulus, and the two things are are different. And because the intention here is to directly inject money into the economy, um, I think it's important therefore. That we don't go down the road of means testing or saying such and such a person should get it and such and such a person shouldn't the purpose of this is to effectively empower the population to be in a position to spend some money um, my understanding as well is that the retail groups have made it clear that they don't want anyone to be excluded from the scheme and i absolutely take john's point regarding the impact that the, the, the Tesco's and the Sainsbury's and the what have you's have had by the same token. For a lot of people, you know, a week's, a week's shopping bought at Sainsbury's or Tesco's costs a lot, lot less than a week's shopping bought by going to the local butcher, the local fruit shop, the local... You know, So I don't think we should tell people where they can or, or cannot spend this money um, once once it's once it's out the door it's out the door and it belongs to them and they can do what they wish um with it provided it's making our goal of money going into the economy happen so i think i think that's important and then the just two more points firstly i, I don't agree um with the deputy chair that we should take our time on this this money needs to be spent by the end of march and therefore I want to be hearing from the department ASAP how they intend to deliver um, this scheme because as I said there has previously been criticism of government departments not getting money out the door and not getting uh, money spent so I think it's important that we get it out uh, as quickly as possible and get that money circulating in the economy Then I just want to raise the final point, uh, Chair, with your indulgence. I think transferable vouchers is a bad idea for the same reason that I raised last week that I I believe that these vouchers should be issued to individuals and not to households because we know Mm. that during lockdown instances of domestic violence, coercive control... Um, and all of those issues have been exacerbated by lockdown. So if we had a situation or a mechanism whereby vouchers are transferable, I would worry that vulnerable people would be put uh, under pressure to be transferring um, their vouchers to those who are tormenting them and, uh, and causing harm to them in their own homes. So yeah,
9: the just took a very brief. And we also agree that, in addition to course of control and domestic circumstances, yes. that transferability also has serious issues with regards to loan sharking, loan dealing, and all and all of those other behaviours yes, as well.
2: Absolutely. So uh, those are just some observations that I have, chair.
0: Chair, can you still hear
2: us? Yeah, I can still
1: Yes, hey, I- uh, I'm, I'm done. done
2: <laughs> I'm done. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: Hey, Chair-, you still there? Chair, if you want to go ahead, yeah.
12: I suppose you're you coming back. It, it comes back to them what are your policies designed to do And it. Yeah. It's um, you know, if it's for everybody and all for retailers, it's not a high street voucher seat, you know, it's kind of changed, it's, it's something it's something different. The other thing is, how is that viewed the same consistent of other policies that you have in race relief, where you view one cohort as being uh, able to be able to really so there's you know, maybe sort of consistency issues there. And I think the key point about the, the key rationale for targeting those folks in need of the in terms of businesses is they are the ones that haven't been allowed to be open, whereas lost businesses, independent traders have been losing business to some of the other multiple retailers simply because of government regulations are saying you cannot open your shop now so they're diverted elsewhere, so in many ways, a lot of this would be a need to kind of rebalance that, to actually give them an opportunity for people to be uh, uh, putting money their way. OK. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that. That's great. Look, thank you very much, Richard, for your, for your briefing, um, and, and I think it was really
1: useful and the members got a lot out of it. So, thanks for taking the time to, to join us. Um, if we then move on to our, our next briefing is from Paul on the, um, the support schemes and then we recently made an announcement in relation to um, additional support. I think Paul is on the, the meeting already.
0: Yes, Chair, if we just... He's come into the spotlight yes. now.
1: Hi. Uh, good morning, Joe. Guess, Paul, thank you for taking the time to join us. I'll share a few of the panelists for maybe an initial briefing and then we'll open up to questions.
3: Yeah,
13: thanks very much. Um, so I'm, I'm conscious of the time and the event for this. Um, so, uh, very, very brief. Um, so uh, allocated so the bomb has been allocated a significant amount of money to support the economy. So October one uh, we were um, allocated sixty million and then most recently a um, sum of one hundred and thirty-seven or so close to two hundred million in total. has um, been allocated to those to support businesses to support the economy. That's um uh, AI, I 18, uh, in AI total of eight teams that now we are in fail under the government. Um I'll quickly run through them and give it a Conversation with the average yeah, description and the you know, useful, particularly the main key to use uh, in the high street scheme. We've got the COVID restrictions business support scheme, part A and B, that's live, um, and schemes which are in development and open to launch. We're serving our daily scheme for new self employed, uh, schemes for limited company directors, busts uh, or large premises, uh, and theme uh, babies. Another round of the digital selling capacity uh, grant, um, uh, the Minister-Recommended Manufacturing Daily, but here that's obviously the only uh, and not the by us. And then finally, the eighth one is um, the High Street Stending Scheme. So I was gonna spend just a couple of minutes on that, mainly just really to um, explain where we are. Uh, we've got a couple of questions and then uh, We've got see um, uh, uh, questions
3: from yourself the staff and chair. So, um, I hope we don't to repeat too much of what we said, which is
13: incredibly useful, by the way, um, which is evidence of the conversation and debate uh, after that, so I think from our perspective this is a really innovative intervention, I think while Jersey has definitely um, sort of led the way using kind this on the scale of, um, you know, the number of consumers that we have in Ireland is, 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 is genuinely new and innovative when the ministers have the business reaction, we've got really positive responses uh, on this, so we are need to inject some 95 million into the local economy. In simple terms, this is about giving the high street a shot in the arm, building confidence, and kickstarting the recovery, and the time's right. Focus is on bricks and mortar, uh, so that's those that have been heavily impacted by restrictions, so
3: excluding uh, online retailers. We are, we are moving incredibly quickly
13: um, in order to deliver this. um, I decisions have to be made now, Have more time to consider uh, other areas, particularly in relation to to targeting. So, key decisions that we need to make now are uh, are securing a uh, provider in order to deliver the scheme. Uh, The reason why that's imperative is because we're leading time to secure cards, so that's the most important issue in the case in the minute. Um, Other decisions that are ahead of us need to be carefully considered. that uh, the purpose. So the, the reason why we're doing this is to stimulate activity. I think there's a discussion about grants to businesses uh, or whether you use a, a group-based card to stimulate activity. The benefit of the card is that if there's a multiplier effect, I think, Clinton mentioned, that you, you would get that same uh, effect from grants. Uh, decisions on targeting, again, not to be made uh, today or, or even this week. Um, there's a careful balance that needs to be made between... Uh, the delivery timescales, uh, so the imperative to deliver not just simply because of financial pressures in order to, to, uh, to uh, work to work the canton, but also the general work. Our expectation is there will be a genuine need in the New year, release spring for the high street to um, receive the support. So, it's, 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 um, the delivery timescale pressures, we need to get some plants uh, into the family as quickly as possible. Um, And and, and also, I think we have to be careful about drawing a hard line between the purpose of the scheme. Um, Absolutely, the focus needs to be on stimulating demand in the high street. Uh, And I noticed from some of the conversations about whether it's uh, highly targeted and then whether there's a quite purist scheme from an economist perspective. Um, There's a policy decision at the heart of that, and ministers will need to be comfortable that if, if you went that highly targeted, uh, route and um, needs to be comfortable that people that perhaps um, you know, uh, spend spending using a car to uh, help buy their groceries would be able to do that. I, I think that's, that's a difficult question. To me, but, um, you know, I, I think earlier conversations were um, mentioned that the uh, retail stakeholders, uh, not Melan like Retail Consortium, and, and uh retail and I uh advice against um targeting in that way for, 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 for those reasons. I think um, finance was mentioned as a particular issue so we're aware of that as uh, a concern and we're very um, engaging with probably the finance. and um, there's questions about um, the deliverability of the scheme and how you uh, how you might restrict so uh, and this is the benefit of using power as opposed to is is uh, individual retailers have a called general merchant ID and that gives the provider the ability to turn off or turn on certain IDs depending on how the category uh, on, their, on their system. Um, and then I, I think uh, Jared I mentioned about whether the trace people could use other so big, again coming back to the focus is really on bricks and mortar uh, rather than trace persons in the economy. You. If you wanted to simulate that type of demand, you put specific scheme in that area so
3: yeah, an example would be how you sort of link up and um, simply actually
13: contact with demand with the policy objectives uh, for example in uh, energy efficiency so that's a, a very sort of quick run through. make those unconscious in time, and right? keep in mind this key decisions we need to make now are a of supplier in order to meet you know, so the, the lead at times other decisions uh, to be made uh, for other ministers to engage with the business community together, to get a feel for where we need to go on that. Uh, I'm happy to take questions and answer them to the extent that we can in terms of where we are in the policy cycle
1: uh, and also interested to take on board your uh, considerations and concerns so we can go on there as um, Paul, thanks very much for that. Um it's, it's good to kind of get an idea of where, where you are and, and what the decisions are that need to be made around the, the voucher scheme. Um if I can maybe just touch firstly on the some of the other schemes um just to get a, a bit of a um an idea of where we are in terms of development. I think the minister said yesterday in the chamber the, the newly self-employed will um, go back to the executive under, uh, I think she said, her two procedure. So is that one likely to be coming on, on board, um, quickly? And is the company director one, um, in development alongside that? Um, yeah. So, um, our
13: expectations are be subject to technical. That we can get the new self employed up and running as quickly as possible because we are conscious that this population has been excluded from the HMRC self employed income support scheme. Um, so, if subject to executive approval, we would like to get that um, to stay up and running as quickly as possible. Um, on that, depends because of that that reason that we decoupled the two schemes from the new self employed and the directors. We did want to make uh, decisions uh, and policy um, analysis that's still required in the funding director's scheme in self employed. because of the nature of the population we need to understand a bit more about who's eligible, who's in scope and given the funding envelope, uh how would, um, which is twenty million, um how we divide that funding envelope reasonably across calculation and the N pro both. And so that's that's uh, it, it's not to say that's not I an mean, vendor we're we're working the uh, engaging stakeholders uh with the, big, uh, the institute of directors have been really, really helpful and in uh, helping us understand a bit more about the population and who um, whether the need the support lies.
1: No, that's, that's useful to know. Um and in relation to the new self employed is it is it likely that it will be a safe process um that those people could expect to get support? I think that would be um, really welcome as that was the key yes. Yeah absolutely. No that's great. But thank you for that. And then just in relation to the voucher scheme, I mean, yeah there was an interesting conversation there that took place with Richard. Um and I, I think you know even listening to, to that conversation it, it does kind of um lay out the, the the I suppose some of the challenges in terms of trying to and what we're to achieve with it. Um and uh, as you know, I, I certainly um think really that it does have to be an economic mean,
3: but obviously there are people who are, are financially struggling and, and
1: so we shouldn't limit it
3: particularly
1: in terms of what it can deliver for those as well. Um, so it just, I just, I think that it, it is important that we, we maybe just think through some of that and I, I'm glad that, that that is, you know, the decisions of those are, are Ones that have to be taken just today. Um, in relation to that question that, that I put to Richard, it wasn't really a far as Richard, but in relation to when the money needs spent, so to say, if the vouchers are in place by the end of the year, is that efficient in terms of, of the, the funding envelope having been utilised and the actual spending of the vouchers could then take place post the end of the financial year?
13: Yeah, but that's the, the detail that we need to check with colleagues in finance about whether, uh, in effect, is, is us transferring the money to the supplier for them to load to the cars. In this financial year, is that sufficient? Um, and, and to be really honest, I don't know enough about the Quirks um, of Government accounting to give you an answer on that. But it's, a, it's a known issue um, that we've got that we're working to provide an answer to. So,
1: Okay. Well,
10: thanks for that for me, Paul. I'm going to hand over to John Dyer, Paul. Well, uh thank you, Chair, and thank you, Paul. Um, the, as the Chair said, the, the previous conversation was very interesting, and it's not often uh, a funding announcement is made on the basis of a laudable idea. You know, all the details aren't in place, and there's £95 million to spend. But the, the idea behind the scheme, I think, is excellent, and, and putting that amount of money into the economy and stimulating... Uh, the economies agree a I think and also you hinted at that as well. It also raises morale uh, among consumers uh, and, and people who will be getting a few pounds and that in turn, where people have the extra money to be able to spend as well. But can you just in terms of how much is set aside for the administration of the scheme? You had mentioned that you are you're currently looking for a, a partner to uh, whatever term whatever we come up with or whatever you come up with in terms of it's secured. Or it may be, what sort of money set aside for administration? Um,
13: so, uh, we're, so we're using a Crown Commercial Services framework, in other words, pure um, services. Um, so that's, um, we'll go after a tender and um, we'll know the, obviously the, the, the costs that individual bidders have submitted until that, submit that process is completed. We have spoken to Jersey because obviously
10: Jersey is a little bit on a much smaller scheme, and their estimate is about four percent of the cost of the scheme. So, uh, about four okay. percent. Okay. Um. What we don't know at
13: this stage is because um, I think it's only 120,000 in Jersey. Given our scale, um, what impact that scale will have on reducing that number, uh, and we won't know that in a
10: little bit. Okay. Um. And is that are you going out? To, so is the the bids out to, to, to the banking sector in the sense of who who can manage this? So it's so, a so, so framework. So the benefit of
13: using the commercial financial services framework is that there is a, um, a defined um, list of companies that are already on the framework, and enables us to call up that framework quickly in order to meet the. um uh, the delivery time so rather than it being a, an open tender in a traditional sense it's it's
10: more defined enables us to move on a lot quicker but still within um you see that the, the, the straight government right, and rules of the capital I okay um and, and can you clarify does the money have to be spent by march or if the money is committed by march is that satisfy uh, the budgetary requirements again uh, it's, it's a known issue that we've got but looking
1: into the power clients. I should have got an answer, we would be
5: happy to write like to you just confirm. confirm that. Okay, thank you. That's me, Chair. Thanks, John. Can uh, we bring Shanita into the spotlight, please? Hi, uh, thank you very much, Paul, and uh, congratulations in the departments or moving your job now into recovery. Uh, for COVID. Um, I, I suppose I, I'm glad that you listened into the previous conversation um, earlier because it was interesting and I'm still not entirely clear um, just what the, the, the purpose of the scheme is because on one hand we're saying it's to stimulate the high street that's the main principle um, uh, and uh, that's very welcome But on the other hand, uh, you know, some members say, well, you know, we need to to be able to spend it everywhere, like the multinationals. We have to remember that the multinationals have been, you know, know, I'm talking supermarkets, have been working throughout this entire COVID pandemic and have been doing very, very well. So therefore, if we're going to stimulate the high street, then we need to stimulate those businesses that weren't doing well, that had to close down and didn't, uh, you know, that have been really heavily impacted, small family owned businesses, so therefore we need to target them, it's just not, we can't just create a scheme that one size fits all because it doesn't and it's not going to stimulate and it's not going to save the high street if everybody that gets a voucher goes to Tesco's goes to ELSA, or goes to Sinfres, that's not what we see in the history. And whilst I, I understand what John said about, you know, uh, the recent job losses in Arcadia and um, and Debrahams, let's be honest, They these job losses didn't come about because of COVID. These are long-standing issues in those companies and, 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 and their business model. So the needs are not uh, covid uh, job losses. These are uh, you know a, a transition and a different retail model. So if we want to save our independence, we want to save the actual you know um, essence of what we have in the high street. Then we really need to target those vouchers to be spent in areas um, that are going to get the greatest uh, movement. And and that's where I really want you know. Uh, if it was indicated earlier on that your you were seeking to have a conversation around all of this today. And I think that that's what I really want uh, you to hear from, from, from my perspective. This this money needs to stimulate the businesses that have been had the greatest impact and with the greatest respect. That is not Tesco and other multinationals of that type. They have they've actually done very well with of COVID, and to be perfectly honest. Um, uh, and I know that it's local people that are are, are working in them, and they will continue to work in them because they're not at risk. Those shops are not at risk. Um, but our local high streets, and we're, and as most high street is a very generic term as well, and I I want to get I'm talking just about local local shops, wherever they are. Should they be in a village employee or should they be in uh, in in dairy city centre? I'm talking about shops that have had a really adverse impact as the
13: sort of COVID. Uh, yeah. Thank you. So uh, I think we're on the same page I think, in 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 Iran, I think, in terms of what the what the what's the policy intensive is absolutely so we're seeing real pain in the in the high street um, and we recognise that is an opportunity to kickstart and we and really support those businesses. The question then is how do we target that support? Um, We've heard from uh Kate Conley and Simon in the chamber is that exclusions would be harmful. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we can't target in different ways and I think what will be absolutely significant and uh, the game change around this. And, and this is a lesson for Jersey, uh, is that what's the communication package and communication campaign that surrounds this? So the Jersey card had to spend local on it. It was a, a, a huge effort um, in order to encourage the types to spend it, exactly the public I mean, it's, it's the businesses that have been suffering that need the support. I think mean, what was also interesting from the Jersey example is that how businesses themselves just to to it. So um, independent retailers were offering additional discounts if you use the voucher or use the car in their stores. And then that then further, so I guess incentivizes and tons of people to, uh, uh, into using the, the car in the area that people wanted to get to. and I mean, just, just coming back to, The policy decision that you know, if we have to be clear, if we go down the the hard line view and we draw a play line between what the card can cannot use, there's consequences of that. And those consequences obviously will uh, impact upon the the big retailers that, yeah, absolutely have done well, but it will also impact on the people that perhaps would have used that card and buy their groceries. And and, and on balance, if there's a small number of people that do use the card in uh, any number of the retailers
5: vast majority go on to spend it in the high street then I think overall the policy would them success. And and then just one quick other question. Web hubs ten point six million additionality money um, for, for web hubs, can you give me any more insight into what that actually is for? Um so it's a. Uh,
3: uh, the main point behind it is that this is a group of people, businesses in our economy that have had uh, a
13: really difficult time uh, since March, uh, and it's recognition um, of, the, of that hardship and you know, an ongoing hardship. So, we're um, the Minister asked to look into options to uh, provide the to support those businesses. Um, now, that's quite a broad population that um, we're looking at, um, and uh, we need to provide the Minister with uh, options of. Um, how far do we want to go and therefore the implications of that and individual spend uh, within that kind of global whether it's more targeted. So in the process of providing advice, um, advice to the minister, we then present advice to the executive on how that be. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, Nid. Um Gary, please. <laughs>
0: Go ahead, Gary. We can see you.
4: <laughs> Apologies. To do that. Yes, uh, thanks, Chair, and thanks, Paul, um, for your presentation. And congratulations on uh, your host that you're in. I wish you well. Uh, obviously, uh, a lot of this stuff has followed over in the previous conversation uh, that we just had with, uh, with Richard. But you know, I just want to point out again that uh, you know, this week has been one of the darkest weeks uh, for our high speeds, I speak, I speak for for London, city centre, where we look at the potential of thousands of jobs. And let so I do take issue with people who throw in terms of, well, let's take our time, let's you know, let's let's exclude, exclude people. I think our focus at on this moment in time is that we get able scheme. I think that's what, uh, the vast majority of members understand that this is about stimulating the local economy. Um, we need to listen to those business leaders, which the carbon theory has been doing, because the engagement and the letters which we have really received from all of those stakeholders, that they're, they're unanimous in what they say. They want this scheme uh, to be ruled out. Right? They want it to, to stimulate the local economy. And, and you know, if that means that certainly, we've said this before, if it means a small number of people want to use a voucher to get their groceries. But I don't think we need to get into a situation where those people uh, should be excluded or penalised for doing so. As a constituency of LA, we see daily on a daily basis people coming through uh, for food banks. Even now, the concern around uh, the fact that, that you know, jobs have been lost in every centre. This is about trying to get people to use uh, those vouchers and to, to, to secure jobs. On the high street. So I think people really need to not risk the point on in this initiative. And when we say keep it simple, it's about ensuring that we, we get the money out uh, as quickly, uh, the vouchers out as quickly as possible, and that we don't have the time to just you kick know, the can down the road and just be negative about this stuff. We need it And I really do welcome these initiatives, as some of members have said. You absolutely, you know what, we can do with more money, we can do with uh, the scheme to widen, widen out and extend it beyond what they are what we're, what we're dealing um, with what we have in terms of the envelope available uh, and we need to just get on with it so I just want to just encourage you all to continue that engagement with the chamber, right across Northern Ireland and the retail consortium, retail, and I of those stakeholders that to work with on a day-to-day basis uh, because those are the people with the expertise uh, and, and I think that we can get a scheme that won't be efficient
13: I'll
1: go forward, so thanks for that. Yeah, thanks so much Gary, and, and, and yeah, absolutely So, on where
6: we are. Thanks. thanks Paul and Gordon. Thanks Sharon. Paul, thanks for your efforts and wish you well in the post. A um, couple of other schemes, I think we've covered the, the vouchers fairly well. I understand you listened into the the previous feedback. The B&B scheme and the hotel sector are ones that are very much on my mind. We have a number of large hotels that have been lying empty now for months. They're hoping to have a good Christmas. It's very uncertain. They've had little or no support outside of rates and furlough. The, the ones that are over about 51k, rateable value, and they're still waiting on, on the scheme to be developed. So what's the progress on that, Paul, in relation to the hotels and B&B scheme? The 4.1 million for B&Bs. Um, yes, yeah, so,
13: so the B&Bs 1st So that's um, so this is the population that uses the domestic rate, being yeah. outside of the local restrictions and supposedly the OASD. So, uh, the department's working with um, uh, Tourism Northern Ireland, TNI, the because uh, uh, these B&Bs are registered uh, with TNI. Unusually, in these schemes, you actually have a data set to work from. So, um, uh, and again, in the of the pubs, um, uh, TNI and the department, uh, officials in the department are willing to
3: sort of uh, up the scheme, get it up to the minister as quick as possible, and then uh, to executive approval. And moving to large hotels, um, again, the policy intent is that, particularly, this is the other
13: one, namely, later. In the by well, the LISS is providing welcome support, of the fixed costs that these um, are significant, and then that's the policy rationale for um, a, a, a top-up payment, if you like. Again, in the same boat, just with the volume of eight schemes, is, is, a, is a huge amount of work using the process of taking that to the minister and getting approval on, uh, on the amounts of with that particular funding. But the, the urgency on all schemes is the cost us.
6: Have you any idea when the hotel one will be live? Um, no, I've read it
13: on um, uh, for a minute, so still very as soon as possible, I think is the best um, I can do of that. I appreciate your um, great history, lots of I appreciate that's not the one to hear, but I'm not
6: going to fix it, it. Okay, the other point was mentioned earlier, just on the, the car system. Uh, it's a lot of money, uh, so how are we ensuring value for money in, in the management of it? The tender process will it be a normal tender process or will it be a short-circuited process? And how do we manage the risks in, in ensuring value for money and and quality in what is being delivered?
3: Yeah,
13: absolutely. So uh, while it's compressed, it's absolutely uh, in line with government procurement guidelines, and that's the real benefit of using crown financial services. So we'll rely heavily on the established structures. So we'll um, you know, be compressed, but uh, we In terms of uh, value for money for the scheme, where I think, think Johnny Dow mentioned earlier that the, the timing of this is unusual, it's, that's uh, pretty mildly And uh, it's, it, it's Ordinarily, we would have worked up a, a well-developed business case, uh, understood all the value of money consideration, provided by some minister, and then progressed. So because of the timescales, we're going to have to sort of uh, uh, compartmentalise that a little bit and take those decisions as we know we need to do it. We're partly fortunate in that um, most of the decisions that affect life are made this week, today, but particularly on um, the, the, the targeting of the scheme. Um, take that in slightly slower slow time uh, and we can ensure that we've done, we do have the analysis to demonstrate the kind of the we and I think related to that there's um, okay, the risk of fraud and error uh, is included within the scheme. so then uh, again this is a, a benefit of a car is that we can um, uh,
6: access data sites, databases that good names, addresses, and date of birth and we can use that information to ensure that car is going to be Okay thanks Paul, thanks Chair. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Um,
9: Thank you, Paul, for for joining us today. Um, Can I just first of all uh, ask you a couple of questions around the the, the whole area of company directors and the newly self-employed? Obviously, time is of the essence because these are people who have now clearly waited the longest. Can you identify any other groups of people who have been excluded? And then the next question is... <clears throat> really, two bits to this. One, um, there are people who find it very difficult to, uh, if, they be, if, they, if they've been denied an opportunity to get funding from any one of the schemes, and, and, and if there are additional schemes being brought online, um, we need to give you need to give serious consideration to a, a quick appeals process for people. Um, and and uh, in addition to that. Um, it, it, many uh, businesses and people will come to elected representatives, whether it's MLAs or local councillors, um, or indeed even local councils. Um, it, it's, it's imperative that, um, that we have some form of quick um, phone contact system uh, to be able to raise queries. Um, that, that's that's the area around um, the, the, the various schemes that are ongoing and those which are about to be delivered. Um, going on then to the whole issue of the, the potential for a card scheme, and you've heard the whole conversation so far today, I understand But but this does take us back to the very fundamental, what what is the purpose of the scheme? And will you be in a position to very clearly and very succinctly set once the scheme is launched or about to be launched, uh, will you be able to to be very clear in, in setting out the purpose of the scheme? Um, I think most people, many people seem to feel um, that there's conflict between it's it's an economic stimulus or it is there to help people who've been uh, suffering as a result of the pandemic. Um, And you hear people wanting to do altruistic things with their cards like transfer them to charities or uh, give them to other good causes. but if the purpose is none of those things, and the purpose is just simply uh, to stimulate a sector of the economy, then uh, that needs to be stated very clearly and upfront. And for example, will it be printed as a message on any on any card? Um, we're not giving you this because we want you to, to personally benefit from it. Although people will, but we're giving it to you uh, to stimulate the high street economy. Uh, and again, others have asked about the procurement of the card. Uh, I would have some concerns um, that we are giving that, that money will inevitably end up in uh, the, the, the retail banking sector uh, to deliver this. But there are other there are other organisations that are capable of doing that delivery. Uh, people organisations like Royal Mail who've been treated as disgracefully um, by the public sector over the last number of years. Um, Uh, And one other final quick question in relation to all of this, Uh, whatever way in which this is rolled out, uh, not only are you telling us that there's a cost to provide the card and an income for the card provider, but card providers also uh, take commission from card machines and shops, how will that be controlled? Because basically you're paying at both ends. Um.
13: I right, so just want to do them in turn. Uh, so, in terms of uh, who's excluded, the uh, gaps in the schemes, all, all of the schemes are targeted people have been impacted. Um, so, anybody who uh, has been able to continue to operate may have felt some of the, the impact of COVID, as long as everybody has, those impacts have not been significant. Um, the schemes aren't designed for those people. Um, it's my expectation, and, and, and you know. This is where the, value of the challenge function in the committee is its owners. If, if, you, if you're still seeing gaps in the economy where there is people that, uh, that haven't been supported, then please let us know that and then we can assess whether either the you know, MA scheme will be adapted to
3: include them or whether the scope is required. Uh, but you across the MA schemes, uh, in addition to everything else that's been delivered, uh, that is an
13: unprecedented level of support that's been delivered. Economy, and like I said, you know, the gaps then um, is let us know. Um, again, then we've got to the, the high street schemes. So the, the purpose of the scheme is absolutely to support bricks and mortar retail, you northern know, land in high streets, but stimulating demand uh, in, in that area. been heavily impacted, it will is absolutely linked to kickstarting a boost and moving out of this. Helping businesses just survive this period into uh, adapting and adjusting into the, what we hope will be a recovery. I think uh, just just to repeat my response to the Deputy Chair, is, I think the comms package that is wrapped around this will be absolutely essential. Well, you know, while it's not a decision for today, I think there are lessons in Jersey uh, and then. Uh, key lessons that we've picked up from engagement that's taken over so far how we can target spend through our communications uh, and also you know, support that out in uh, by encouraging businesses themselves to incentivise participation through um, extra offers or on their own branding. That's absolutely um, our intent.
9: Um, sorry, the final area was not only, uh, have you yeah. have you indicated that we're going to have to pay to buy the cards, there'll be a service charge for that, but of course uh, traditionally unless you make it a, a condition, uh, there's also a charge to the retailer as well for the use of his card machine, because they, they have yeah. to pay for that as well. And not all re- not all, not all retailers. Many retailers will do things like exclude the first five pounds. So if something's less than five pounds, they prefer to have cash because that basically just eats up the card trans- the card machine transaction costs. yeah I'm yeah, um, happy to look into
13: it in some of these events. My understanding at least is that that
3: transaction
13: cost is included in the price of the goods that we have established, so that,
6: that, that's
9: covered. Well, I'll look into that and take advice. And um, if you can, tell, just to come back to you with a better answer on that,
13: sure, that's okay. Thank you. We'll take a note of that follow Yeah. Um, Thanks. the
1: Okay, thank you. Um, I think John Doan wants
10: to come in for a final question. Uh, it's just a quick point, Sharon. Thank you for letting me back in again. Paul, you have referenced the fact that you're in discussions with uh, Chamber of Commerce, retail representatives, and quite rightly so. Uh, but one of the, the, the added benefits of this scheme is that those families who you have either and workers who have been furloughed or lost their jobs and have lost income Will also be using this, these cards as a welcome relief uh, to their income. Are you in discussions with any consumer organisations, for instance the Consumer Council or any anti poverty organisations, yeah. as to how the card could assist both groups, the High Street and the consumer? I haven't spoken to the Consumer Council yet, but they have,
13: they have reached out, uh, partly because they've got, of, they've got a lot of experience in these types of schemes. So that they're on my list of people to speak to. Them.
10: Okay, thank you. Um, Paul, thanks very much for the brief. Uh, sorry, sir. If, if,
13: if, if, if there are groups
10: that you're aware of that you think would be helpful,
1: uh, they send where and, you know, we're, we're in listening mode of, uh, as much as we are and mapping it also down. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thanks for the briefing, Paul. It has been really useful, and it is good to know that, that um, you are and listening as well and make sure members if you do have any ideas they or any thoughts around that they can send them through to yourself and, and and thanks again for taking the time to come and talk to us today. Thank you very
8: much.
1: Thanks. Um members we are a little bit pushed for time because you guys have to be out of that room by one o'clock, so um, we are going to do the <laughs> two SRs in your pack and then agree the members are content to deal with the rest of the items in the pack by correspondence.
3: Great. So Great. if
1: members can move into item number 9, which is the SR 2020-279, the Gas Internal Markets Regulations on Northern Ireland 2020, um, there is a clerk's memo at page 259 of your pack. And the ASR 2020 2009 is at page 360 of your pack. This statutory rule will amend some existing energy legislation in order to transpose the requirements of the EU Gas Directive 2009 73 EC, the 2009 Gas Directive, as amended by the EU Directive 2019 619, the 2019 Gas Directive Amendment. Um, members will recall that we agreed the SL one uh, committee on the eighteenth of November. So this rule is subject to negative resolution and members are content with the SR out of the
0: question. Members are content, yeah. Members are content. Chair. Yes. The Committee
1: for the Economy has um, agreed SR uh 279 the gas internal market regulation both an in twenty twenty. I recommend Recommend that it be confirmed by the Assembly to to the Examiner's statutory Rules Report. we we'll move on to uh, number 10, which is SR 2022 the Employment Rights Northern Ireland Order 1996, coronavirus with Ireland 2020. There is a clerk's memo at page three hundred and nine, and page three hundred and twelve is the SR. We um, dealt with this one just last week, and it makes amendments to the principal regulations made necessary by the extension of the Coronavirus Job Retention Scheme until the thirty-first of March, twenty twenty-one. The statutory <clears> rule <principle throat> ensures that consistent with the principal regulations as originally made. Various statutory entitlements based on weeks' pay and connected with termination of employment are not reduced to the result of an employee in further under the job retention scheme. So again, the rule is subject to negative resolution, and members are content. I will the question.
0: Are members content. Uh, Great. members are content, chair. Uh, Thank
1: you, um, the Committee for the Economy has agreed, SR yes, one. the Environment Rights Northern Ireland Order 1996, Coronavirus Calculation pay mm-hmm. amendment Regulation, Northern Ireland 2020. I recommend that it be confirmed by the Assembly, subject to the examiner staff Act 2 Rules Report. So, um, we will then move to... The, um, I, don't, I don't know what item number
0: it is. If we, Chair, if we go um, actually, to
3: which is the yeah. time
1: and of our next meeting um, and it will be Wednesday the 9th of December
3: in Room 30 so um, thank you members alright Chair just can I come in really quickly
0: there apologies we're actually going to be in Room 29 um, next week's one of our short meetings Great. so we'll be in 29 but we'll send out further memos I'll also be sending out further information on the debate mm-hmm. on we'll Tuesday on again um, for our macroeconomic inquiry well. on the outlook so Chair thank you for that okay. You
1: could end up in Thank you. education
3: Hello? or something. Thank huh? you, Chair. Well, we'll not talk to talk well, cheaper crime.